nothing I ever do is good enough, not beautiful enough, it's not funny enough, it's not deep enough, it's not anything enough. Now, when I see a podcast, that's perfect. I mean, that's perfect. I want to look up to God and say, how the hell did you do that? And why the hell can't I do that? You think Joe Gideon would like this show? <laughs> <laughs> no. Those Not guys, they're speaking to a deeper truth I can't find. Not enough ladies on this Complaining show. Complaining to the angel him. of death. How's his shider? It was pretty good. Okay, bad, right? right? Yeah. I mean, so you did a shider. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. I th- it's mo- tension was, you know, these are quick impressions. I don't practice the impressions. You just saw the process of me scrambling for a quote last it second. Was great. And I usually try to pick one thing. And I feel like the Scheider thing is he's always he's very, like he's tightly wound. I mean, the only Scheider movie we've ever covered before is Last Embrace. Oh, yeah, the, the Demi, Demi movie. Hitchcock riff. Yeah. But I think I said in that episode, I, I feel like Scheider just has such, like, his skin is so taut. You know, it's funny you say that. I think this movie was delayed because of Last Embrace. Really? Really? Yeah. That's Roy Scheider was the guy. He had to audition for like a week. Originally, yeah. it was Richard Dreyfus. Yes. Which just imagine. <laughs> I cannot see how that would work. No disrespect. He's, neither could anyone from the moment they committed to it. And, and that's was, why it right. didn't happen. But, but right. that movie would have been insufferable. The thing, right, he's good right. at, he can play a prickly, difficult person, but not like this. I mean, the, the Scheider casting is so bizarre. And you hear all the stories about, like, what it was, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Sammy Cohen, right? The agent who, like, pushed so hard of, like, I think Scheider's your guy. And Scheider so badly wanted to not play a cop. Right. And show he could do anything else. Right. And they like did the meeting and they were like, well, he can't really sing or dance, but you're right. He's the guy. Yeah. It he was said, this... you come to my house every week. Yeah. Right. And we just go through every line of the script. Um, and uh, but yeah, but Demi's la- he was committed to Last Embrace. Yes. And so right. they had to wait till he was finished with that. So right. that's funny. It's, that's it's, the other it's one. Here you here here. It's yeah. not. A, have you seen Last Embrace? I have not. It's not great. It's, it's not terrible. Very fine. It has it's a very early Demi. It, yeah. Yes. Very early Demi. It's kind of his first. Vaguely real movie. Like, the the prior ones are all, like, uh, what Roger Corman movies, right? But it's also the last one where it feels like he's approaching things from a Corman standpoint of, like, what genre does this have to slot into? Right. It's like and a from the next movie thing. on, it's like, what's my personality? <laughs> yeah. You know? And it has a Niagara Falls finale. That's yeah. its big thing. That's Like, cool. there's someone falling down the Niagara Falls or whatever. You yeah. know that thing where movies used to have one expensive sequence and it was the <laughs> right. poster and, like, and the entire marketing campaign and they were like, yeah. we promise you in the last Why five minutes. Why is little orphan Annie hanging off a bridge? <laughs> <Okay>. Well, <laughs> that gonna, wasn't in the show. You're going to see <laughs> one good thing. Because. No, Annie hanging off the bridge is one of the, because they clearly, they, they should have done the Statue of Liberty and they were like, Ah, uh, we can't. That everything's been. Uh, we'll just do a bridge, a like, like like a suspension bridge. Yeah. Exactly. Like, why isn't it a locate like a, yeah. a which New there York are none place. in New York? <laughs> <laughs> I I have the Mad Magazine spoofing Annie. Mm. It's my mom's or whatever. Humblebrag. Yeah. And I, they they really rip it for the bridge. They <laughs> really? they really like they right. they have like three or four jokes about the bridge. Were Were you a Mad Magazine kid? You yeah. feel like you were, right? Yeah. Did you? I have... remember my first time walking away from my home unsupervised yeah. was to go. Buy Buy to get a mad, wow. a mad magazine. It was uh, Super Mario was on the cover. Okay, it was a dollar thirty-five. Cheap, pretty cool. Cheap. <laughs> you came in today wearing a Nintendo hat as well. Let's say you had Nintendo hat on and you have an all that jazz shirt, a Fosse shirt, a more smoke. I please. do. This was our this was our wrap gift for Fosse Burton. It's the Fosse Burton crew shirt, but that, the more smoke, please. That rolls. Uh, here's a question for for you two. My I I 
discovered special and a, delivery. And a bagel came in. A and bagel. I, feel like I, I gotta say for the listener, the door opened and a hand. <laughs> a it was actually very hand. bossy. Just <laughs> <laughs> offered a bagel hand, on a plate. Yes. A bent wrist. Yes. Put uh, my bagel. You can almost hear <laughs> the, the snapping yeah. under the timing of the bagel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for anyone who's ever criticized me and saying, hey, "This guy I can't believe he eats bagels on mic." Yeah. Well, I want to say today we have we have a Tony Award winner. We have a Pulitzer Prize winner. Sure. Uh, Grammy, Emmy. I mean, don't, 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 don't make, you know, don't put him on the spot. He doesn't want to talk about his awards. No, I'm not, I'm not, Slowly I don't want to make bagel. him talk about his awards. Mm-hmm. I just want to say, he's about to eat a bagel on Mike. Yep, despite all that. I'm gonna, you don't have to eat directly into Mike. Yeah, no, I'm going to, I'm going to try to be uh, as discreet as possible Absolutely. with this. Absolutely, but this is vindication for me. That's all I'm saying. You're doing great. <laughs> I'm, I'm here to We've absolve you of your sins, Griffin. We've been building to this moment. Uh, did you guys have the experience that I felt like I had as a kid when you discover Mad Magazine? You're like, I fucking love the energy of this. I mm-hmm. love the ad. This is so funny. This is my sense of humor. I didn't know you could do this. And then the first time they parody something you like. Oh, you're like wounded by how it? How dare you? You're like, well, come on. Right. Because their attitude was that every movie sucks. Right? I, like yeah. every movie's stupid. I discovered Mad Magazine through my, it was my mom's collection. It was like yeah. a big box of them. Yeah. And there was one that made fun of Return of the Jedi. Yeah. And it just, you know, has right. so, it really, really is nasty to it. These things were created to sell teddy bears. Like, exactly. I'm sure they went for all the 100%. Un- right, yeah, and right some walks. of the points, as like a seven-year-old, I was like, uh, I guess I, I guess I can see that. Yeah, and it was, <laughs> it was a little loss of innocence moment for yeah. me. Like, oh, right, this is like a corporate product. Yeah. Sure, okay. Yeah, I yeah, remember yeah. reading the ones that came out on the newsstand and mm-hmm. then going to, I think it was my godparents' house, and they had a stash of yeah. old ones. Yeah. In Which the, are better. And, and I remember seeing uh, Apocalypse Now was a crock of shit now and wow. being like, oh, my God. How did, they, that's how did that movie make any money after <laughs> you that? You what? <laughs> I mean, you know, we just, we just watched... Uh, uh, Lenny and recorded that uh, yesterday, the movie that comes right before this. Yeah. I just, I love the idea of doing an incredibly serious Mad Magazine biopic that's them getting arrested. Right. It's it's like all black and like spotlights and they're smoking and the smoke is rising. <laughs> they're like, I don't know, a, a crap ellipse now? No, that nah, makes no sense. No, nah, crock of shit. <laughs> yeah, no, you get, um, you get like uh, Timothy Chalamet's Dick DiBartolo. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Someone's like, what if Spy versus Spy? versus spy remember when there would be the third spy yeah. occasionally the lady spy oh the woman in gray she would always get him the woman in gray she always got you're him. always excited when you got one of those i was always daniel black. day lewis just pops in at the end like jaffy's late with the fold in again that would be incredible he's just like this tortured artist fucking daniel day lewis retired right ben's good friend danny day retired <laughs> you call him up and you go dan look i know you're out of the game but william c Gaines. <laughs> it's it's time yeah put on the address me as william right <laughs> Fucking, what do you have? Uh, Leah Schreiber is Don Martin. I'm trying to think of all the most intense. You're right. Growling. It's like Spotlight, but the same cast of Spotlight. Spotlight, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So Mad's just the lighter side of dentistry. Mad does. They. I think they do like four issues a year that are mostly reprintings, and they'll do like one or two new pieces. Yeah, I just remember that Return of the Jedi joke when Leia's freeing Han from Carbonite. You know, Leia says, like, how could you have been in Carbonite? You did Raiders of the Lost Ark and Blade Runner in between this and Empire Strikes Back. And as a kid, I was like, damn, that's a good run by Ford. Like, I think that was my, that was my reaction to that joke. Like, God, he's, that's what he squeezed in yeah, in between. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, listen. Wait, did you introduce our guest? Not yet. I'm okay. waiting. All right. Oh, okay. I'm so sorry. Or no, our podcast. No, you're doing everything Yeah, you're correct. doing fine. 
this is a podcast Thank you. called Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. It's a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. And sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they bounce. Baby. Uh, it's a miniseries on the films of Bob Fosse. It's called Pod That Jazzcast. That's right. <laughs> This movie was a hit, right? I mean, a mild it was a hit, hit. Yeah. Which is crazy to consider. Yeah. It is crazy to consider this as like a box office success. Yeah. You watch this movie and it's so brilliant, but you also think, like, well, this must have been the one that this must have been the grand. Like, I can't handle this. And even yeah. as you're watching it, you're thinking, does anyone who hasn't seen right. Lenny <laughs> right. or read like a biography of Bob Fosse understand what the fuck's going on? But it's, it's so personal. you do. I, it's like he must have just been so culturally omnipresent at that point, where even if you didn't know fucking everything, you had enough of a sense of who the guy was making this movie that you understood what he was. Riffing on, but it is yeah, it's bizarre. Yeah. It's bizarre. Uh, it's it's yeah. one of, one of quietly one of the blank checkiest movies ever made. It's it not is. the biggest check ever written. It is the biggest check ever written. You yeah. think so? Like like just just in terms of creatively, creativity. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. there are bigger financial checks, but in terms of going into a studio and being like, I want to make a musical about my death and how much I suck about the heart attack I just had, essentially. Yeah. yeah, right. And also the insane thing with this movie where the budget runs over and another studio comes on and is like, God damn it, fine, fuck it. What are we going to do? All of it. It's All two blank it. checks. It's two blank checks, <laughs> yeah. really. Yeah. yeah. Sort of overlapping and checks. And didn't he, in the process, also, like, renegotiate to get the rights back to the movie or something know. crazy? I don't, I don't know. know. Look, yeah, yeah. today we're talking about all that jazz. Now, I want to say, and I'm not going to harp on it, when we emailed you about doing this episode, and our guest today, by the way, because this is a movie podcast. I don't know if you know this. I'm going to list a couple movie credits. Sure. Wrote the songs for Moana, film we love, covered on this podcast. That's true. And Kanto. Little, little, little movie with a couple songs that have stuck around in the public consciousness. Director of Tick, Tick, Boom. Great movie. And this isn't a theater podcast, but I did see on your Wikipedia that you uh, created, wrote, and starred in a play called Hamilton. There's a few other shows, right? That was was a thing I did notice. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda is inexplicably on the podcast. (laughs) Long-time fan. First-time caller. Bizarre. Happy to be here. Bizarre. Thank you for coming. Bizarre. And dare I say it, dumb. (laughs) Dumb. Dumb. One of of the least impressive things about you (laughs) is being on this show. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Dragging you down. Thank you for uh, wasting a little bit of your cachet. Mm -hmm. And Um, time. And time. Absolutely. Uh, what was the thing I was going to say? Okay, so we you emailed you. were complaining you. about the miniseries title. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah, we emailed welcome. you about doing this. to do this, right? Yeah. And in the subject, I have to do I have to do Just this, do it quickly. In the subject heading, I say, pod that jazz cast, parentheses, working title. <laughs> and then we start the thread with your assistance. You're one of the busiest people in the world <laughs> sure. to figure out a time to do this, right? When it comes time to start recording these episodes, I go, I want to call it pod that cast. Yeah, he wanted to with do disease. that. With, with disease. disease. <laughs> right. Okay. He was overruled. And the argument was, you already put it in the email. Oh. You, he That's did. not binding. He did. <laughs> I agree. It's not binding. I think Pod That Jazz Cast A private email to me is not I binding for what you agree. Now we can face we, the world We with. can disagree with Pod That Cast. I just on think creative it grounds. feels vaguely medicinal to me. I think of Nyquil. <laughs> I think that's a good call. That's a good, also Kaz, if you take if Kaz you take, may call intestinal you know cause intestinal distress. Than it is. <laughs> if you take the spaces out between the words podcast sounds like the problem with podcast some psychotropic as we've also discussed is you just you can't sell it on mic to the extent that people definitely yeah, you know. Can. Listen, there's something about when you say it, <laughs> I hear like, crickets. Podcast, right? You just 
Those are crickets. Those are snaps. Those are snaps. It's pod that jazz cast. It's pod that jazz cast. It's the notes the title isn't playing. Thank you. Um, it's a it's a real it's it's a Damon Wayans miniseries title. It's a it's a jazz title. It's a jazz set. Yeah. It's a jazz set. Um, I think this is his best movie. I think it's one of the better movies we've covered on the podcast. I agree. I agree. Lena, do you think this is Bob Fosse's best movie I, over I Cabaret? Think, I don't know. I think this and Cabaret are. It's it's difficult because Cabaret is such a total package entertainment. You know, like game changing piece. Like it's so so. Whereas this is with said is so personal. And it's hard to just like recommend to someone. It is like I'm not just going to tell any random friend like, "Oh, throw in all that." I think guys, if you say it. to a friend, "I think you'd really like this," your friend, how, whether they love it or hate, it, might be like, "Why do you think of me? <laughs> Why do you put this upon uh, me?" Yeah, especially well, the way it ends. What about this said me? <laughs> yeah, right. and I, guess I don't know how to feel about that. Maybe if you're trying to quit smoking. But then this also is kind of a pro-smoking movie somehow, too, because he looks Any so Bob damn Fosse good. Kind of pro-smoking. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, man, yeah, yeah. as someone who's currently trying yeah. to quit, this like this really hit for did me. Did you fake smoke when you did Fosse Verdon or, or no, in general? No, it didn't, it didn't require it. Did not, the only yeah. scene, oh, actually, wait a minute. You do the final number. I do, I do the right, final yeah. number, but then I also did the dances with the daughter. Right. Oh, um, right. Right. Uh, which was no. I don't think I'm smoking okay. in that no. either. He doesn't have a dangler. No one he doesn't have no, no, <laughs> a dangler. No ash on his daughter's head while he's like <laughs> putting her into pod beret. Um, but I, for me, cabaret gets the slight edge okay. only because it also has like an all-time great Kandernab score yeah. on sure. top of it. Sure. Whereas this is like, what are the songs I can get that tell my story? Yeah. Um, I don't think there's any songs in this that are really transcendent. Although there are the sequences numbers that are, are right, right, yeah, 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 yeah. But no, that's true. But it doesn't have, you know. I mean, I I listen to <laughs> to Bye Bye Life a lot. Yeah, I do. Like as as a standalone track, obviously as a sequence, it's like bravura shit. Right. Oh, absolutely. But his best movie, yeah, it's it's obviously I feel like it comes down to Cabaret or this, and this I give the edge. Just we were talking about Fury Road right before this, but that thing where you're just like, I can't believe this fucking exists. Absolutely, it gets this, <laughs> the bump of like I can't believe it exists and it's good. At and best, you think it successful. exists and you watch it and you're like, it's a curio. It's interesting they tried to do this, but it's not very fun. You know, this movie, it was, yeah, was successful, respected at the time, has aged well. When did you first see it? Like, what's your Fosse journey? Way too young. I'm, I'm someone who, my, my mom. 35 is a little young to see this movie, honestly, I'll say. Like, I, I had to have been a teenager and I, I think a lot of it went over my head, but right. I had a, I have a, I have a, crowd pleaser dad and an art house mom like uh -huh. every weekend with my dad was a Seagal movie a musical or like a Van Damme movie and like billiards that's what we did wow. and then like my mom I think showed me Last Tango in Paris when I was like 10 <laughs> <laughs> and like I definitely like, do the right thing when I like all sure. of that mm -hmm. stuff before I was a teenager. Okay. And so I think I was probably around 12, 13. And a lot of it just went over my head. Had you seen like Cabaret at that point or you'd seen other Fosse stuff? Probably. I'd probably yeah. seen Cabaret. Right. Yeah. I, I feel like I've heard you talk about there being a lot of like original cast recordings in the home that you would yeah. listen to shows. I would definitely on listen record. to Cabaret. Right. Yeah. Anything yeah. Liza, um, any, like Liza and Barbara Streisand and Julie Andrews and Debbie Reynolds were uh -huh. like, 
the altars my dad worships at. I don't, right. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I think he, he just loves a bootstrap narrative. Like mm-hmm. he was a little kid in Puerto Rico and was like, I'm getting out of here. So like his favorite movie is The Unsinkable Molly Brown, which is wow. not a good no, movie. No, it's watchable. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely watchable because of her. Yeah. There's a 50-minute stretch where there's no songs in it. And it's, it's like not short. Musical. But the sequences right. in it are really good. But it was like... Required viewing. <laughs> is is he like a militant Star Wars fan when he's watching Titanic? He's like, that's not my Molly Brown. Um, Molly Brown wasn't like that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he, that's the first this thing he said. the character of Obi Wan was like, that wasn't Debbie Reynolds. <laughs> yeah, it's, true. it's not Debbie Reynolds. <laughs> yeah, but um, I I definitely saw this when I was too young to get it, and mm-hmm. then kind of re- you you rewatch it and you go, oh my god! But you know, you talk about his cultural footprint. Like, this is a guy who won a Tony. Uh, an Emmy and an Oscar in the same, same year, year. Yes. and all for different projects. Right. Yes. Yep. This is not the like for know. directing every time too. Not not. There's no jokey like award there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, it's cabaret lies with Cabar- Z and yeah. uh, right because I think Tony for yeah, yeah, uh, yeah Pippin Pippin, and That's then right. he additionally gets choreography Tony and Emmy for Liza. Like he he wins sure. all three for directing and two choreographies. On top of that, yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 pretty it's wild, but I, yeah, I don't know how you. We we were talking about Dreyfus uh-huh. in the beginning, and when Dreyfus didn't work out, or, or they just both were like, "This is not going to mm-hmm. work." Um, he said, "I'll play it," and he said to a screenwriter, "You must support me in this," <sighs> and the screenwriter did, and the producer was like. There is no fucking way <laughs> you can write a movie, direct in it, produce it, star, right. and starring in on your top condition. Of it like, it yes. was yeah. a non-starter. Well, I'll say it, it was one of my favorite scenes in Fosse Verdon is in that sequence yeah. where you playing Scheider, playing Joe Gideon, say like, "Bob, you should do it. Like, try the number." Because I do feel like it's such a running thread that, like, Bob Fosse was defined by the fact that he so badly wanted to be a movie star, yeah, he a to musical be, he to be leading man. Right. And it feels like we keep on hearing these stories where he's like, oh, God, our hands are tied. I guess I have to play the MC. And everyone's like, no, you no, don't. No, you don't. <laughs> there's a good guy. We got him. He kept on sort of trying to accidentally rig it where people would be like, I guess there's only. Yeah. And you look through the list and all the people they were sort of considering for this were just like all the biggest leading men of the 70s. You right. know, like Dreyfus makes sense as the most sort of neurotic leading man of that period. I, had he just won an Oscar? Like, yeah. is that why yeah. he's maybe right? Okay. But you see the crazy names of like is it Hackman is it this they apparently offered it to Beatty and Beatty said I'll do it if he doesn't die at the end and he's like that's the movie (laughs) (laughs) what are you talking about he gets the girls (laughs) but like all of those other guys you go like that wouldn't have worked you almost feel like who could have actually played this part and Scheider on paper seems like it wouldn't make sense absolutely but there's something so fucking magical about him in this yeah there is. I love him in this movie so much. I watched uh, I watched this again last night with commentary, and it's, what's his name? Alan Heim, the editor. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he just kept on saying, like, yeah, Scheider, Scheider couldn't dance. He's got a terrible sense of rhythm. Bob worked with him every day, but he just, he innately doesn't have rhythm. And just every time, especially in the final number, he was like, I mean, if you're really, I cut around it, but if you're looking at it, he's so fucking off. <laughs> he just kept on <laughs> underlining, like, Roy really can't pull this off. But, um, but you like you. That's funny, you Dreyfus. You he sells you, it on confidence and charm. You know, Dreyfus. I don't know if you remember this one, but like he was supposed to be in the producers on the West End years yes. ago. In like, I guess when it was launching on the West End, and he dropped out at the last minute. It was like very, a very shocking thing. I think Nathan Lane actually 
was like spirited over. Was it Jason Alexander and him? <sighs> Fuck, I have to look it up. It now. was one. Yeah, but, so yeah he dropped out like a week before. It's funny how it's like he's and I think the, it was he couldn't do the dancing. Like right. Just, and it was like a last minute thing of like, this actually isn't going to work. It like, sounds like that's also what him. this came down to here, where they yeah. were just like, this is was. never going to be solved. Yeah. Four days. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, like, it's it's really weird. I, yeah. They brought in Nathan Lane. It was him and Lee Evans. Yes. Lee okay. Evans. Okay. Yeah, who was like a British comedian guy. Right. Um, but anyway, like, it's just funny that the book ends of that. Like, Dreyfus, they, they worked with him. They were... They were, I mean, the thing I have, it's from the Wasson book uh, in my in my notes, is just like immediately you could smell disaster is how they yeah, put it. Right. Like when, when Dreyfus is like you know, running the steps with them. And also, you know, notoriously a prickly guy. Like I think Fosse doesn't need someone else who is a neurotic mess over obsessing over everything. There's something about Scheider just probably being something of a pro and also really, really being eager to show something different. Right. But it's fascinating that like as much as I feel like this becomes his best performance. You know, maybe not as most iconic because of Jaws and everything. Sure. This becomes like his high watermark as an actor. He doesn't really get to do anything like this ever again. He pretty much just goes back to like, he does this movie, he gets the Oscar nomination, everyone applauds him, and he's like, okay, I'll pick up the badge and the gun again. Yeah, and, and listen, he does another 15 is, years of this. There, there's something to be said for when you're doing a musical, getting an actor who isn't really known for a musical. Yeah. I, mean, I just went through it with Andrew right. uh, on, on Tick, Tick, Boom. And, but they have to have some kind of innate musicality for it to work. Like, Andrew was a fine singer who got told when he was like six, you're a bad singer. So he just never pursued wow. it. Okay. But when we were going through singing lessons and 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 all of the sort of prep for him, he was great. It was just yeah. like rusty water in a faucet and then the clear water came right. out very quickly. Sure. Because I remember that being the beat on it. It was like, well, Andrew Garfield, like that's very demanding. He's not going to be able to sing. And then like two minutes into the movie, you're like, well, this is fine. Like, I don't know what anyone was worried about. <laughs> and did he do yeah. his own piano playing? I what I said to him was, yeah. I need to be able to pan from your fingers to your face like three times at the beginning, so we can sell that you're playing piano. Sure. And then don't worry. And about then it don't worry that. about it. Right, so right, right, it's, right. he needs to learn the opening riff of 3090, yeah. the opening riff of Why, the song he sings at the Delacorte, right? And I, I forget like one other song, but I just said like worry about these three little pieces. Yeah. Wait, but so the rest of the time is he just like because that's what yeah, I would. Yeah, but you know what? He also would watch our rehearsal pianist so that he like. And and that's something I'm such a I hate when you see bands in movies and they're just doing something that has nothing to do yes. with what you're hearing. Yeah. So I so I would I'm the stickler for that. It's like that and like empty coffee cups being carried around like well, a waitlist well, well, are like the two cups. yeah bugaboos I have. And there's one of those in In the Heights and drives me fucking crazy. Um, <laughs> but it's the coffee cup. Yeah. yeah well, there's one coffee cup where I was like I wasn't on set because <laughs> there's, there's so much deli stuff. There's yeah. so much bodega material. When, yeah. when you're handing over your cups, I feel like they have proper weight in them your actual performance yeah. in the movie yeah you but, clearly had control over that yeah but yeah. Uh, but i would always check in with it, like because andrew is such an incredible actor the only notes i would give him in some of those sequences was like look down occasionally to make sure, sure. you're in the technical same. adjustment yeah, like literally yeah. like yeah. look down at your keys make sure you're changing you're doing a key change you're gonna look down at the piano i feel like the thing i mean this is an unfair stereotype but this is the thing everyone's like oh, all the brits can sing a little and dance a little right like they've all got a little bit of that right you, you sort of have to do the foundation of a little bit of everything right yeah i don't know maybe not with andrew though because like i don't know if did andrew do like Rada or one of those things. Like, was he one of? Yeah, the, yeah he went he, to drama school, yeah, and so. someone told him you can't. Sit. Like, right, I must right. have. Like, no, hundred percent. Right, like, don't bother. For him with to that. have come this far and never even like 
done a school play where you had to sing. Like, that is surprising. Very weird. You'd yeah. Think, yeah, you would yeah. think. Right. I just, I remember, it's it's the one that like stuck in my head of what you're talking about on the behind the scenes of Josie and the Pussycats, the movie. <laughs> They were talking about how proud they were that they did, like, fucking three months of instrument rehearsal. Right. And uh, who was it? Biff Naked, I think? No. Mm -hmm. Am I wrong? Who's the band who wrote the... I mean, it's obviously the Fountains of Wayne Schlesinger, but then... uh, I forget who the band is that uh, did the the songs uh, and did the singing voice. But they they did, like, three months of instrument rehearsal. And there's behind-the-scenes footage of them going, like, look, see, we can play it ourselves. And they play it, and it sounds fucking terrible but they actually knew what they were playing so when they dub it over with the professional playing it looks correct right 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 right, which is all you need that's all you need yeah Yeah, and i had the the band that recorded the tracks is the band i have on stage with him too so like that's all accurate okay you know like i'm just i it drives me crazy when i see someone going like this on a bass and no bass is playing (laughs) this is a question i have every elvis movie Yes. So, I, uh, I mean, they shot those things in like four days. The yes, Elvis yeah, movies? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. They shot Elvis movies on lunch breaks during other Elvis movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, uh, I, I watched Fosse Verdon fairly recently, which I, I'd somehow missed when it came out, despite being like a Fosse fanatic, uh, when we knew we were doing this miniseries. And there's the episode that's focused on that year. Fosse's insane triple crown year, yeah, right? He's there and Patty's next to him and they're miserable in the limo. <laughs> right, he's losing his fucking mind. The year ends with him having a physical and mental breakdown, right? And then his second big sort of hot streak period is the the Chicago-Lenny same year, which ends with him having the heart attack. Or it doesn't even end. It's interrupted by the heart attack. So he had these, like, two kind of massive years, not only, but two years where it was like multiple plates spinning, everything working. He's at the center of like high culture in America and he's fucking miserable and he can't handle it and he's self-destructing and his body is exploding yeah, and none his of brain it fixes is the hole inside him. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Right. And you seem like an infinitely more well-adjusted man who does not have this romanticism of the the tortured artist kind of thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. But you are an example of a person who has had that kind of year. Yeah. Right? More than once. But, like, that. very rarely do people get to uh, go to that echelon of just, like, you become this sort of looming figure of like everything you do is suddenly given new importance and you have always struck me as a guy who like handles that incredibly well like have seen excited by the opportunities that come out of it sure and are able to handle the responsibility of like you have to occasionally be like a spokesperson for America, <laughs> you know? Like it, truly, people go like, "Lynn, we need you to help sell the idea that our country isn't collapsing." <laughs> yeah, that's getting that's a tough sale. Right, right. that's become yeah. Um, a but, yeah. Do, do you ever just like stare at a wall and go like, "This is fucking exhausting," or do you just have oh, sure. more energy than most people? No, I, well, I mean, there's a couple of things in that yeah. question I have to unpack. First of all, there's like the year, right? Like for me, sure. the closest thing to that year that I experienced was the Hamilton year. Mm-hmm. And what kept me sane was doing the show. Um, sure. You can't party like Fosse partied and do seven shows a week. And right. like I would die. I would yeah. die so fast. It would be I'm not throwing away and then I would fall into the orchestra pit. Um, and so, you know, that was... The show weirdly was my saving grace because the offers and the attention and the internet is coming to the show every sure. night. Like every night is a different bold-faced name and it's that part's really crazy. But 
the show is really hard to do. It's two and a half hours and I don't leave the stage. So weirdly that became like the moment of Zen. And then I think the other thing was like, I was kind of a grown up by the time that happened. Yes, like, so I you're was, one of those. My son was born two weeks before rehearsal started. Sure. And so I was. That's crazy. How did you do that? As someone with a young child, <laughs> doesn't seem well, possible. Well, I, I mean, he was born and I hadn't written the last fucking duel yet. So I was. I was up and I was just responsible for a couple of the night feedings and I was up writing the ending anyway. And then we, you know, to be honest, like leaned on our help. Like my parents took our kid. Like every night before a two show day, because if I didn't have a full night of no, sleep, I, I didn't have you enough voice for no, two shows. One hundred percent. And so it was like one night a week. <laughs> like that kid was just yeah. like at my parents' house. It's, it's good. For they them. live. They live nearby, and um, it, and my wife was still working at a law firm. Like it was fucking crazy. But you're like, I, I mean, I you can't say this about yourself, but you strike me as someone who just has exceptionally good time management. Focus. No. Am I wrong about this? I, I'm a, well, I'm a super I procrastinator. How do you like, handle I, the, the deadline yeah. stuff? Is the yeah. stuff in all that jazz that speaks to me? Sure. Wow. The yeah. most. Like yeah. I have really stranded casts who are going to sing for an audience of friends. Yeah. Like they will get the final number the morning they are singing it to those. Like yeah. I remember the morning writing the last song of Hamilton, and thank God Pippa Sue learns like sight reads and learns really fast. Like that scene of like, can you sight read in Tick Tick Boom? I've lived that many times. Look, I'm not trying to equate this accomplishment to Hamilton. I want to make it very clear. I'm not putting this accomplishment on the same level as Hamilton. I don't know what you're about I can't to say. wait. But I went to a wedding to last weekend. I'm so... <laughs> My buddy Andrew Taven, 10 minutes morning, he comes up to me and he's like, what do you want to make a speech? And I was like, you didn't ask anyone in advance? And he's like, ah, I forgot. If it's... One of the groomsmen should make a speech. And I was like, okay. And I took out my phone. I jotted stuff down. I got a speech. Got an applause break. You got an applause break. That's... I got an applause break. And people kept on coming up to me. It and they a were warm just crowd, like, I'm sure. Although it was a destination wedding, so people are a little uh, tired. Yeah, uh, and 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 people were like, "How did you write that speech in ten minutes?" And I was like, "If I had been given a month's notice, it would have been worse." <laughs> right. Well, if you'd been given a no- month's notice, you would have written it the night before anyway. I mean, that that that's a, that would be my reality. And, and it also still would have been worse. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The fact that it was like that amount of pressure. I like pulled six threads of knowing this guy for 12 years into one moment. Right. And, and look, once again, I'm not equating it, but I have heard there is interest in uh, adapting the wedding speech to Broadway. So I might, it yeah. might you're be gonna, my you're Hamilton. Gonna, you're out of town. You start out of town. Where, yeah, yes, you maybe, where's a good yes. place to start? You like Toronto or, you know, San Diego? I don't yeah, know. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, like, Fosse is a figure that you clearly are like in conversation with in your career. Well, I think that Tom, what's funny because you know, I just read the book. Sam, yeah. Sam Watson is a friend of mine. He went to Wesleyan, and I used to play piano for his improv group. Like, I was like uh-huh. the Richard Vranch on piano for yeah. their, <laughs> like, group. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that's how I knew him. And then when I read the book, I was like, oh, I didn't know you could do this. Like, like, mm-hmm. like look, it's like learning your friend can, like, juggle chains. Like, right. oh, I didn't know you could write like this. Sure. And the, to me, the, the, the like, the innovation is really the epigram of the book where the, the, it's all 60 years left, 45 years left. That's yeah. how the chapters are broken which, down. Which, and yeah, which like is a such a clock. stroke of genius yes. given who he's talking about and yeah. how they saw uh, the world. Um, but I think Tommy was attracted into making that because... Tommy is like the anti-Fosse. Like right. he's just such a like, I I want to talk to you all until we're all making the same thing. And I want to like, you know, 
He's just like he's very not, square He's not like a sort of dictator. Because like every story you read about Fosse, you're like, I understand the man was a genius, but how did anyone put up with this day I to mean, day? what a pain in the ass. Like, yeah, yeah, and like, it's, and earnestly, it seems like the movie kind of earnestly puts forth like, yes, I need to fuck you to make you a better dancer. <laughs> right. I need to understand your body. Like that was the, like that was the come on line. And it's like, put up with a bull. And then you watch all that jazz and you're like, oh, this guy completely knows how full of shit and annoying he yes. is. Yeah. And yet he's also this great artist that I can't really, you know. I think this know. is a good time to tell you what I brought. Tell today, me what you brought. Which is oh, that. Okay. You I, said you brought something. I brought some goodies. Um, goodies, yes. I, I called Sam cool. uh, just before, like a, a week ago, saying I'm going to go uh, be on Blank Check and talk about all that jazz. Anything not in the book that you want okay. me. And he said, everything I know, he texted me back, goes, everything I know is in the book. And he goes, oh, but I have the original draft. I'm going to send that to you. So I have this original draft. Wow. Fossey's original draft. I took some screen grabs. It's 146 okay. pages. That's interesting. Um, right. Sure. The crazy thing about the draft is uh, he didn't change any of the names in the original draft. So it's So just... that's not John Lithgow's fictional other director. Yeah. It just says Hal Prince. <laughs> <laughs> right. And was it, was it Joe Gideon? And it says Candor and Ebb. Yeah. Right. In the thing. And there's another story I have to tell you on top of that. But like, and there's all these scenes with Patty and Herb Gardner that didn't make. Oh, like, wow. Like all the cut scenes are him yeah. talking to his friends and his friends calling him out on his bullshit. Right. But, but it's a thing that accidentally... I think is helps this movie is that the guy is friendless. Yeah, that's right. But in real life, that was yes. his crew. Yes, right. it was Herb Gardner, Patty Chayefsky, and they would like all get drinks and and just they were like the creative uh, club. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna read you some of these cut Patty tunes uh, tunes. Um, <laughs> you have to sing them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a uh, Bob smoking with a drink in his hand. He's looking at uh, the Lenny movie. And he goes, maybe we can get away with it. Herbie says, Bob's afraid if he ever said anything optimistic, God would strike him dead. <laughs> There's one little. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. One that does make bit. sense. Yes. Then here's another thing. Uh, Patty, such bullshit. It won't be bullshit if he drops dead. And Patty says, maybe Fossey thinks the only way people will take him seriously is by dying. Right. Herbie, but do we have to keep reminding him all the time? Do we have to tell him what a son of a bitch he is? Do we have to tell him how miserable he behaves to women? Patty, Herbie, to Fossey, that's approval. <laughs> <laughs> Again, none of the names are changed. Right. Yeah. To Fossey, yeah. that's approval. There is wow. no Joe Gideon in right. this draft. Right. That's why. It's Gwen. Yeah. It's Annie. Yeah. It's um is his his daughter, you know. Um, it's his daughter. Yeah. What's so funny is in that in that commentary, uh, the commentary, Allenheim says like when they were cutting, he'd go like do you think we should hold on you for this long in the scene? And Fosse would be like, that's not me, that's Joe Gideon. Yeah. Like, he was prickly about it. And he was like, come on, just fucking, like, why are we wasting time? Right, yeah. let's get the shorthand. But the fact that even the first draft was like, Bob Fosse. 100% Bob yeah. Fosse. Here's, yeah. here's the one that, that made me want to uh, bring it up at this point. Herbie. Um, so, he, so Gideon, Fosse is saying, but I'm despicable, untrustworthy, disloyal, worthless. Herbie, interrupting. Listen to that. He thinks he absolve himself simply by listing his crimes. Right. Bob, the biggest con of all, honesty. Patty, which does not deny the truth of the fact that you are despicable, untrustworthy, disloyal, worthless. But that's that's right. He's like Yeah, he's like if I say it, there's the self awareness. You can call me on it. If I say it and I kill myself at the end of the movie. Cuz if yeah. he, like it's like if he's alive at the end of the movie, 
then it you know people are walking out and they're like it's almost like well his reign of terror will never end. <laughs> <Right. laughs> like, yeah. The death it makes it more poetic. It's like right, of course, like this guy it was just a tightrope walk. But there is this element to this movie. I mean, as opposed to like I feel like you certainly see it a lot with comedians, right? Where they like do the work that's like I'm putting myself on the fucking slab. I'm exposing my words and all. But it feels a little masturbatory still because it's like I want you to approve of me hating myself. Yeah, and it's and it's comedy. It's absolutely honed. right. Like they have, it's you know honed. thought. Exactly about and how if they're you gonna laugh talk. at it, it sort of takes the burden off of me right. of like, I made this entertaining, so now you can't be mad at me. And this movie, he keeps on showing such a self-awareness for what a piece of shit he is. And then yeah. people are like, the fact that you know doesn't excuse it. That doesn't make it cute or charming. I mean, but it does kind of because it's such a, a cool movie. Bit. And you one watch of my it, favorite like, moments shit. Yeah. is when they do the uh, what is it? Uh, take off uh, with me. What's the name? Oh, of the erotica. Yes, erotica. <laughs> And at the end of the number, the the Verdon uh, stand-in character is crying. She's goes like, "You fucking asshole! It's the best thing you've ever done." Right. Like, it, like people are angry that he continues right. to do good work, right? Because it's like you're gonna fucking be able to justify your bullshit. Yeah. I mean, he starts thinking about this after he has this massive coronary event, mm-hmm. right? Like he's do, which is the what the movie's about, right? He's doing Lenny in Chicago at the same time, basically. Mm-hmm. Right. He has this heart attack. And then he said, like, for about a month, he behaved himself. Like, no smoking, no making passes at the nurses. And then after a month, it's like, uh, you know, no. Uh, you know, he went right back to that. Fosse's like, going Fosse. You live, yeah. suddenly you're back to the old thing, smoking, drinking, being dishonest in relationships. So he's, like, aware that, like, I am uncurable. I literally faced death and it was like, you know, what am I supposed I to do? I saw some yeah. anecdote where like the producers, the executives would be like, Bob, you, we took a physical, there's like a, a life insurance policy out on you. You have to cut down on the smoking. He's like, I did cut down five packs a day. Like that was his concession was like, I went from 10 to five. You should be happy. Well, the doctor, the scene with the doctor yeah. in the movie, like it's like, I mean, it's really funny, but it, it's also like a look into just how people looked at health in those days. Right, doc, yeah, the doctor's got a dangler from his lip the and whole the time. The hacking call. <laughs> and he's like listening to his lungs yeah. while coughing. Like that, <laughs> you're not going to hear anything. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes. Gwen Verdon, this is a quote from a different book, but Gwen Verdon said, I think the real reason I was never jealous of other women is I knew his real affair was with death. And when death is Jessica Lang, yeah, yep. yeah, <laughs> Jessica Lang. Does, does the whole? I was, I, I was, I saw, I rewatched this movie with my buddy Alex Horowitz, who's a filmmaker, on Wednesday night, and and we were discussing whether the death thing still plays. Is that just Fellini? Is like, it a little overflow? too corny? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that does that still play for you? Like it. it, it it does because it's kind of funny, which I think the movie knows. I think yeah. that's how it gets away with it. It's funny that, I mean, this is right at the start of her career, right? That she's only been in King Kong before yeah, this. Like, this she's like still like luminous movie. Jessica yeah. Lang, where right. everyone's like, what a babe. Right. Like, here's the new Ray. She's just ethereal beauty. Exactly. Yeah. Like, we, who even knows if she can act? She's just right. so luminous. So hmm. I like that she's being deployed that way. Yeah. Like, Reading yeah. the original draft, the death scenes mm-hmm. take the place of the cut Patty Herb scenes. So basically, he mm-hmm. cuts oh, his that's where the conversation. Yeah. And then the conversations right. where he calls himself out for being a piece yeah. of shit, and her being like, "Joe, 
you rascal. Right. Like he basically replaced his friends yeah. with death. I think it, uh, I mean, what a statement. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it works once again because of the ending. Like all of this would be a little too precious, a little too clever by half if it wasn't committed to like 40 minutes on the operating table, death fantasia yeah. ending with the thing. It truly is the moment that just like, moves the film into a different echelon is uh, when Ben Vereen repurposes his introduction speech. Yeah. That final number is so incredible, right? It's one of the greatest movie endings ever. It's but, Sammy Davis in the script, by the way. Really? That's yeah. fascinating. Explicitly. Wow. <laughs> of course he's in Sweet Charity. I mean, that's really funny. Yeah, that would be funny. If it was but that, that thing yeah. where it's just this brutal, like, this guy's a piece of shit. He's right. nobody's friend. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like at that point... I, I feel like the movie's kind of earned all of it. He literally, I mean, it's it's Fellini's cinematographer, right? Uh, yeah. I, I, I want to ask about the script. Is the, um, Giuseppe Rotuno is yeah. the name of the cinematographer. Um, is the uh, TV movie critic in the script, is that a person? Yeah. I wonder who that was. That must be someone who did that. Yeah, I didn't then, get a screen right? no, grab no, of that, fine. but, yeah. but like, yeah, it is it is probably the real name of it's the WWOR critic. Exactly, you know, right. TV. Whoever was doing that at it's the time. Probably like Pat Carroll or yeah. some mean lady. Yeah. Um I didn't know. I'm reading I'm reading the Fossier right now. Um I didn't. A researcher has uh, renamed uh, the research dossier the Fossier for this series. Of course. How many points to JJ? Right. Snaps with uh, wrist curls. <laughs> I, I knew that Chicago lost the Tony to a chorus line because a chorus mm. line was like the Phenomenal. juggernaut, yeah, right? Hundred percent. And but I what I f- did not know, I guess, is that Verdon obviously was playing. She was playing Roxy Hart, right? Yeah. But and then she had an injury, and Liza Minnelli subbed in for her, yeah. right? I guess mm-hmm. I forgot about this, and that actually saved the show. Apparently, like that became. Totally. Right, it became like a box office hit. Yeah, and they didn't advertise it. It was right, one they of were those trying to be nice. Ma- yeah, they were right. trying to be right. nice, and of course, everyone's like, "Hey, Liza Minnelli is the sounds great. show right now." Right, but it was also the whole weird conflict of interest with her, where it's like, "This is the part I want to play forever," but also the larger goal is I want to have a stake in a show that I helped create. Yes, right. To be a a cushion for my daughter. Yeah. So it's like if Liza taking the role keeps the show running and moves into profit and gets it touring, even if she's and, taking yeah. my glory away. Right. And then that being the star of the Cabaret movie. Yes. And like, and by the way, like that show being so wildly ahead of its time. Yeah. Yes. You know, like, it, yes, it's up against Chorus Line, sure, which was which like big financial juggernaut. Smash. Like right. it was to 1975 what Hamilton was yeah. in like 20, like just like it was, it was the conversation. Right. Um, but also like no one was ready for it. Everyone was like, oh, th- like, and it's then, too dark. It's too yeah. mean. And then yeah. when Encores did the City Center revival mm-hmm. and it was like in the middle of the OJ trial and I was like, right. this is actually very quaint compared yes. to what we're seeing like on TV while we're watching a trial on TV every day. It's also so funny that I feel like if the movie hadn't come out, that revival probably would have closed within like two years. It would have been like, and this was a healthy ass run. And instead, it's now the second longest running musical ever. Yeah. I think it's only behind Phantom. It, it right? outran Chorus Line by a yeah. lot. It did. It Outrank beat Chorus Cats, Line. It, finally. Like, it had the last laugh. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, is it still on? It's, Chicago, yeah, it's Chicago still, still on. on like, right? never yeah. going to close. Pamela Anderson was just in it. That's like every six months, another insane it's person so, is playing one of the roles. You know, I always wonder about Alan that. Dershowitz is playing Mr. Celebrity. <laughs> I, I, I have a fr- I have a friend who was just Billy Flynn, so maybe I can answer your question. What do you wonder? Oh, just, uh, James Monroe. Yeah, James, uh, I, uh, yeah, I went. Yeah, and saw yes, it. No, yes. that's the thing. It's like I I I always whenever I see that there's been some piece of stunt casting. No yeah. offense to uh, Pamela Anderson or yeah. whoever, whatever. Yeah. Right. You know. So the line from the dancers is. We have three tracks. We have like, can really do the part? Wow, right. Yeah. Can sing, but moves. Yeah, right. And like, the no fucking idea. Right. And they just just have like what they do accordingly depending on the three levels that come in. Right. That's just what I, you know, it must be so strange. And like the West End, I grew up in Everyone I hear Pam is in the second category. Like she can sing it and she can move. Yeah, right. Like she's she, a she professional. Has, yeah, you, she's you a will pro. hear those surprising reports where they'll be like, "This one's actually good." Because well, <laughs> there was the, in the West End, Denise Some Van, like, Denise Van Outen, who is like was a morning TV host, mm-hmm. did it on London, but then she moved to Broadway, and I was like, "She must have actually been pretty good for right. that to happen, right?" Because right? she's nobody here. Like, yeah. yeah. Wait, I'm sorry. Just how would all you? Right. No, she hosted that. a show called The Big Breakfast. I used to watch it all the time. Denise Van Out and shout out. Does your family have some incredibly expensive satellite package? Did you have a sling TV that feels in like the, the technology was? That's what I'm saying. I'm confused. In what no, way would you I have access? I grew up in England, my what? friend. Yeah, I grew up in London. That is insane. Um, some context on this movie. Yes, obviously. Initially, they were trying to adapt this novel ending by Hilma Wallitzer. Okay. That was actually the initial genesis of it. And the option eventually expires and it just turns into Bob Fosse, the the movie, right? Like, okay. So initially was... it was actually not going, it was going to be an adaptation. What was something. the novel? It's called Ending. It's a similar thing. Okay. It's like a memoir about death. Like, um, Was it also about a chain-smoking Broadway choreographer? No. I don't <laughs> think so. Was uh, Wallitzer Fawcett? was very confused because Wallitzer is like, my characters are not Fosse-esque at all. Yeah. They're very ordinary middle-class characters. And he brings in, um, what's it, Robert Arthur, Robert mm-hmm. Alan Arthur, and they start working on it and then it eventually just turns into all that jazz. It turns into, you know, Bob yeah. Fosse movie. And it moves from Paramount to Columbia Fred Ebb gives his blessing to call it all that jazz, I mm-hmm. guess, because it's his song that they're naming it after. It's, it's kind of incredible how cynical the use of the title is in this movie, that it's Vereen at the end saying, like, life, love, works, relationship, all mm-hmm. that jazz. Like, right. It's just like your whole fucking stupid life that we're about to end. Right. Since we've just mentioned Fred yeah. Ebb, I would like to interject with another section Please? from the original Please? script, because the songwriting team in the script, it's... Just candor and Ebb. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so here's the scene with Ebb and Prince when they're eating and they're telling him that, you know, Fossey's had a heart attack. Um, Ebb, marvelous cast. And now we've got to sit around four months, maybe even lose them. I'll have the luncheon steak. Prince to waiter. <laughs> Chef salad for me. I can see where it would be difficult to hold them together. Ebb to waiter. And tea with lemon, then to Prince. All because he didn't take care of himself. And that goddamn movie. Yeah, I mean, so wait, there's there's more. <laughs> go on, go on. So I uh, I texted this to the homie John Kander, mm-hmm. who is the nicest <laughs> the man in show John, business. You are truly the only person who can get away with saying that. <laughs> he's he's really the first composer I met when he like saw heights like. First, he's, he was sort I of the Sondheim to your tick tick boom. He, he truly yeah. is. He's in like, his mid 90s, right? Yeah, he's still he's kicking. His, still yeah. kicking, great. still amazing. He's going to have a show like very soon. Hell yeah. Uh, he has another show. Like he just has never stopped writing. So I texted him and I wrote, 
over here reading Bob's original draft of All That Jazz, uh, and old Bobby just forgot to change anyone's names on the first draft, <laughs> and I put an eye emoji. And then he texted me back, wow, even more complicated than it appears. Bob implied to Fred that he was actually writing about Stephen Schwartz. And then he wrote, we are all cowards, three exclamation points. Wow. That's from the homie John Kander. So it's about. after Shout the movie came Kander. out, he was like, no, 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 it's not It's you. not you. That's f- so he, he was must, or before when he asked for permission sure. for all that jazz for the title. Yeah, he didn't want to be right. Yeah, then like, like, I'm gonna like make you look so insane and neurotic. Right. That's fine. well. And how, I mean, Chicago only opens. So he had some decorum or whatever, yeah. some sense of shit. The guy was obviously, <laughs> you know, uh, good at getting what he wanted out of people. Right. You, it's it's just so many of the stories you feel like he's he's he badgers, he's such a force of personality, right? Yes. Like that's how he achieves these things. Right. It took to go back a little to the Jessica Lang thing. Do you guys know the the famous anecdote about like so you know, we, we you have to talk about extensively uh across this miniseries how much uh, Bob Fosse loves having sex with anyone isn't his wife. At sure, anyone, right, anyone, anyone nearby, right, yeah. right, any, any uh, pretty young To get woman. a sense of how they move, of course. Well, right. absolutely. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, and there's, I, I, the story I remember hearing is that, uh, you know, he was just like, I, I haven't gone through to Lang yet, you know, I can't, I can't crack her. Jesus you know, Christ, what's, and what's he's the thing? <laughs> and he says to his friends at some point, he's like, I, I have to pull out the big move. And they're like, what's the big move, Bob? And he's like, I really try to save it for if, if the woman's really, you know, resistant to my charms. But if I dance for a woman, then it's game over, right? I'm going to dance for her. I'm going to put on a performance. So they're like doing a rehearsal session or whatever, right? Probably in his fucking apartment, like a creep. And then he's like, you know, okay, Jessica, could I do a little dance for you? And he does his soft shoe. And he's like waiting for her to melt. And she's like, oh, wow, yeah, that's good. No, my boyfriend was talking to me about, and she he realizes, oh, she's dating Mikhail Baryshnikov. I just did this for the <laughs> one person <laughs> right. who will not be He's not that impressed, impressed by dancing. Yes, right. That's yep. fucking meaningless. That's absolutely right. Wow. She was in the middle right. of She was just like, that's because my boyfriend does it differently. Right, right, right. That is really amazing. It's good for so her, good. just yeah. not even clocking no, it. Yeah. yeah, right. Just absolutely, she's like, good form. You know, he does this thing. <laughs> yeah. The greatest dancer who ever lived. <laughs> Just a perfect physical <laughs> specimen. He's yeah. not fucking like hacking blood all over the floor. <laughs> right, exactly. He didn't just have a coronary. <laughs> right. A uh, horrible reputation with all women he's ever met. Right. I saw her being he's, like, yeah. he's off Broadway right now, right? Doesn't he? What's he doing? He's doing yeah. some like a uh, Chekhov thing. Or... Yeah. He's yes, doing like a, yeah, right. it's like a riff on, I think it's a riff on the seagull. I might be it's wrong. the seagull. I think you're right. Yeah. That's another one of those guys that like when he chooses to act just on a lark, you're like, you're fucking this good at this I know. Dude? It's infuriating. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so, as we mentioned, yeah. Warren Beatty, mm-hmm. Nicholson, mm-hmm. who apparently took Fosse to a Lakers game but couldn't dance. Uh, Double check that. That must be wrong. <laughs> that he took Jack Nicholson <laughs> conducted business at a Lakers game. <laughs> uh, Dustin Hoffman, who essentially said, I will never work with Bob Fosse uh-huh. again after Lenny. He's uh, named as the comedian in the script, too. Well, yeah, it's just Dustin. Just yeah. Justin. <laughs> It's, it's funny because he actually cast the guy who played the role on stage, right? right. Like, that was his, like, yeah. Um, Keith Carradine. Okay. Who kind of cuts a similar physical figure. I get yeah. I get that. He's done some, yeah. 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 Like, you can see that. 
and obviously he can sing a little and all that. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then it goes to Richard Dreyfus that becomes a disaster. Right. So they fire him. But outside of Keith Carradine, they're essentially just going to the seven biggest leading men of that generation. As Dreyfus put it, quote, I can't get up there with my big Jewish ass and try to be a dancer. <laughs> I, to be fair, fair Ricky, I, he has a slender frame. I don't think his ass is that big. I don't know. He's kind of stocky in his way, sure. Richard Dreyfus. Now I'm trying to picture Mr. Holland in that <laughs> outfit in Bye Bye Love and it's... What do, Joyous. Lynn, what do you think of the opus at the end of Mr. Holland's opus? David has talked about this a lot. I don't, I, look. I just like, the opus sucks. It just <laughs> always bugs me. You've gotten into this our long podcast, movie. But you've been jumping around, right? You're not listening all the way through. Sure. I think that, I, I think and, it, and This is maybe the sixth time David has brought up how bad he thinks the opus is. Uh, yeah, Across but then Joanna Gleason walks in. She's no, the all governor. that's great. Right. You're just scene. like, it's, yeah. it's We're asking just, if the opus itself as a piece of work. If we were to judge Mr. Holland's life work. It's got like guitar. And then brass, like yeah, it's, he it's, taught through so many eras, man. He did. It's like this sort of Copeland thing he's doing. I don't know. Anyway, it's just always funny where they're like, because that movie's like two hours and twenty minutes long. Too. Yeah. It's not short. It's an epic. So like finally his opus, and he just absolutely stinks I up. I think the joint. they thread it and they thread the themes of it enough throughout the film that I. Bought it. You buy the opus. That's fine. But, but I'm not okay. bumping it in the car. But like, <laughs> you're at a record store. You find, oh, what is the seven inch? I'll take it home. I'll put it on. Divorce from context of the movie. Would you be like, good work? Look at label, Mr. Holland. Or would you be like, eh? You know, if it's like some random find. <laughs> right. You want to hear something wild? This was this guy's life work. Talk for decades. Give this thing a listen. <laughs> Natalie Portman puts the headphones on you. This will change your life. Oh, You're God. Mr. Holland. Opus. Are you like, eh? Okay. Right. So Scheider gets on board. Scheider gets his on back board. on track. As uh-huh. you say, he was going to his house every night, mm-hmm. right? He's like, he's holding Bob Fosse's hair back while he's coughing into the toilet, yeah. right? He's smoking cigarettes at the same, you know, he's trying to just be like, be as as committed as possible to it. He's really good in the movie. He's incredible. I mean, it, he's... Bob Fosse's whole thing, as we were saying, is that he so badly wanted to be Fred Astaire. And every time he tried to put himself in the spotlight, people were like, there's something about you that's not very charming. There's right. something a little creepy about you. Sure. Right? And he didn't have, like, the lithe form or whatever. No. Like, Astaire or whatever. No. Yeah. And there's so there's this this weird conundrum with this movie where it's like you need to cast a movie star to play the Bob Fosse stand in. But part of this character is he has a certain charisma that is able to help him in his career, but can't translate into him being a very captivating performer. Right. He's not actually going to be. And and, and sort of the. The fun of that also is that his style, which we now, I mean, it's a short, it is its own genre of right. dance. Like you can say, and Fosse, 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 yes. is the anti Astaire. Like it's yeah. like, okay, if Fred is elegant, I am pinched. If he's loose, I'm tight. Like it's right. these isolations. Um, it's it's literally the inverse of everything he wanted. Like he just was like, well, this is what only I can do. Right. Um, and and Scheider does have that pinched quality. Like even though he's more seductive than Fosse ever played on camera, mm-hmm. and he has movie star charisma, that he's like committing to this piece of shit guy. Right. There's still the thing where it's like, I understand why he's not a star. Yeah. Let me read you this quote he has about Jessica Lange's character just by, mm-hmm. just to close that off. 
Uh, when he thinks something's about to happen to you, and this is from Fosse, when he thinks something's about to happen to you in a car or in an airplane coming close to the end, this is the flash I get. A woman dressed in an outfit like a nun's habit. A whole hallucinatory thing. It's like the final fuck. That's how Bob Fosse puts it. So it is person. It's not just a Fellini ripoff to him. He's like, no, yeah. no, no. What I, what's going to flash before my eyes? He comes by like, it, honestly. Exactly. Yeah. Shirley MacLaine, of course, uh, declined to play Gwen Verdon in this movie, mm-hmm. which would have been weird. And kind of insulting. Yeah. Yes. 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 Because it's like, she already beat you out for Sweet Charity, and now she's going to play you. But then the decision to have Anne Ranking play herself is yes. bananas. He made her audition for it. Yep. Um, uh, he wanted Sidney Lumet to play Patty Shayefsky. Mm. And then when that when that got eliminated, he wanted Lumet to play the Hal Prince, the, the role yeah. that Lithgow eventually plays. Lithgow eventually I wish Lumet him. had had a little Sidney Pollock run later in his career as a character. Where he's actor. just showing up yeah. as an actor. Yeah. I know, it's such he a good so idea. Good. And he was like a really good child actor. Uh, and then it may surprise you to hear this, but the production of this film was unpleasant what? and uh, complicated no. and Over filled budget? with drama. What? Uh, right. Uh, and Fosse kept improvising on set and no one do, knew what they were even doing, you know, every day. Um, one of the producers was basically tasked with, at, at a certain point, just having to go up to Bob and be like, last shot, enough. We're yeah. going after this. Like, you know, right. we're, we're, people need a break. And the infamous thing here is they have already gone over budget, over schedule, and they haven't shot any of the final number. And they're like, too bad, you can't, you can't do it. Right. And he's like, this is the whole fucking movie. Right. And so they cut together what they do have, and they screen it for Fox, because it was set up at Columbia at the time. Columbia, yeah. And they were just like, we, uh, God, Jesus Christ, we can't not make this. Uh, like, yeah. it was one of those things where everyone was like, out of control, vanity project, and then they show it, and they're like, oh, this is good. Yeah. This uh, fucking works. And he gets a second studio to sign on and take over the movie. It was budgeted at six. They do that at nine million. Yeah. yeah. And then that, and that's when Alan Ladd, who, like, is the, you know, weirdo king of Fox in the late 70s. He's the right. guy who greenlit Star Wars. He's the guy who all looks so green. That's like, greenlights like three women, right? It, my, yeah. my favorite. Your favorite story, story. Yes. right? Yeah. So in the movie, when they're talking about going over time mm-hmm. and over budget, they also are going, going over, over time Correct. and over budget. <laughs> That's crazy. Correct. It's like meta on a whole other and level. And then editing took it a year, yeah. just like how this movie is basically about a guy trying to edit a movie and being yeah. like, I don't know, this is shit. You know, <laughs> the, the, whole the time. real mindfuck is when you watch Fosse Verdon and you're like watching a dramatization of the guy making the movie about the problems. Yeah, it got. And then there's someone is pl- like, you know, like you're like all five the levels <laughs> in. Yeah. It is funny because one of my favorite aspects of the show is like making Patty Chayefsky the best friend in a romantic comedy. The like yeah. Dave Chappelle and You've Got Mail being like, you <laughs> fucked it up man but now i realize like oh it's kind of using the device from like obviously he yeah, played it, that role in his it life it actually is the all, cut all that chat scenes yeah, in a weird that's way that's so funny yeah and then the thing with this movie is everything you read about it's a nightmare and then it comes out and it's a hit yeah it was one nine, of the top 10 20 movies of the nine year oscar nominations it yeah. was nominated for a bunch of oscars wins the fucking stanley kubrick called it the best film he had ever seen i know to have that line in the movie where he's like do you think kubrick ever has days like this and kubrick watches the movie and he's like you've bested can me. you just picture him in his i picture the shining hotel in london yes, that's where he lived <laughs> just, yes. right exactly just yes. being like ah, he yeah. said my name yeah. <laughs> hey, 10 hey, out of 10 hey, <laughs> that was me uh, Spielberg, of course, is good uh, friends with Scheider. Sure. They worked on Jaws yes. together. Uh, Scheider showed him the movie, and Spielberg was like, he's going to release it with this ending? 
Because you know, think about like baby Spielberg yeah. being like shocked. Have at the to idea. please the audience, yeah. right? Yeah. Of like, right. whoa! You, you're imagine if it were the Close way. Encounters guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah, yeah, right, yeah, uh, yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> he was like, "You didn't want Dreyfus? That guy moves." Um, and it got you great see what reviews. that guy can do with a plate of mashed potatoes. Put that big Jewish ass up on that screen. <laughs> <laughs> it won four Oscars. Yeah, you know, design Oscars, but still, it wins editing. It wins score. Score. Uh, sorry, editing, song, and art direction and production design. Okay. I, okay. I, 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 costume design. Yeah. And it won the Palm Door. Yeah. One of those classic, like they just, it had been in theaters for five months. They put it in the Cannes Film Festival and it wins the Palm Door. You know, another thing I I had failed to put together until watching this last night, but like. Fosse was in this weird direct competition with Coppola, where it's like Godfather one, Cabaret same year. Yes. And Lenny's the same year as Godfather two. It's song original song score. That's that Oscar. Thank you. Sorry. Go Lenny's ahead. the same year as Godfather two and Conversation, and then this is the same year as Apocalypse Now, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah, nineteen seventy nine. Yeah. And and that story you threw out in the Lenny episode of him being paranoid about seeing a fat guy on set with a beard and glasses and being like fucking Coppola. Like for him, <laughs> yes, it was that like, is a story from the Lenny set. Well, he's, he's like, like you trying to replace me? Is this I Coppola? Mean, but but he was like that. No one the thrives guy. more on like having a competition and having yeah. An enemy. Like the entire opening sequence of this movie is right. like uh, I just did a chorus line in four minutes. Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> that you're totally right. That's like the chip on his shoulder is so massive. Even though it's like you've had every success, right. every like success. how can you not be satisfied? Yeah, he's right, broken. he's broken. Inside. And he and Coppola <laughs> yeah, have well, like it's probably both why it makes good movies. Their Oscars at this point, he's like, I haven't gotten fucking Best Picture. Yeah, and he never does, I guess. This is the Kramer versus Kramer year. This is the Kramer versus Kramer year, which was a guaranteed Best Picture winner. That was like. You know, it was the best, it was the biggest uh, hit of the year. It was the Avengers Endgame of its time. It's like, it that's what, massive... you know, this like divorce movie was like the, you know, colossal That's weirdly, that's the first movie my parents took me to see. I was six weeks old. <laughs> really? No, you were six weeks old. I was six uh, weeks old. But like, they were just yeah. like, we don't have a sitter. You're coming to watch Kramer versus Kramer. It looks like, that's a weird date night. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, America but I was very was well behaved. Out. Yeah, that's, so that's, that's the thing. The amount of money that movie made, it must have played in every context. Like that's date night. That's like kids seeing a fucking matinee after school. Like everyone went to see that fucking thing. <laughs> um. Anyway. And, and like a jazz. fine movie, but a kind of an uninteresting winner in a year with like these sort of landmark films or maverick filmmakers. It's a fair point. The other nominees that year are mm-hmm. Apocalypse Now, mm-hmm. All That Jazz, Breaking Away, which is a great movie. Great movie. Yeah. And Norma Ray, which rules. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of a mix of like smaller drama stuff, which, you know, and then Apocalypse Now and All That Jazz, these like, Oh, tourist masterpieces right, that are right. like big Killed and myself complicated. To make right, right, right. The heart attack right. movies. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, no. Hoffman wins. Hoffman and Sally Field mm-hmm. are the and, and Meryl Streep for Kramer versus Kramer. And who wins supporting actor? Melvin Douglas for being there, which is kind of a oh, yeah. you know grand old man win. No, no he's fun in being. He's there. fun. Yeah, I, I mean, I love that movie. But it's it's a it's a grand old man one. I love that term, the grand old the man. grand old yeah. man. Bring him up, bring him because like the actor nominees, it's Hoffman, Jack Lemmon for the China Syndrome, right? Al Pacino for Injustice for All. That's this whole yeah. word is out of order. Uh, Roy Scheider and Peter Sellers for being there. Like it's a very you know very very well. Robust, and that whole generation know. of guys, it's like they essentially make Hoffman wait a decade into like a landmark career before they give him it. Sure. They, they make Pacino wait twenty years. Yeah. De Niro gets it fairly quickly. De Niro got it young. Right. But it's supporting. Yeah. Duvall, they make wait 15 years. Like, all these guys, it was like, you had to get through your grand old man, your Art Carnies, your your what have yous. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, it's a good Oscar year. It's, it's a, a good Oscar good year, year but... for movies. I yeah. don't know. Can I? There is an argument for me that Ben Vereen is snubbed for this movie. Ben Vereen's incredible. It is incredible. And it's like the MC performance where you're like, how can a guy who just does a musical number and a little bit of crowd work? And you like that section in Bye Bye Love where they just go to him and he has that one isolated, and it's better than maybe anything. And it's an uninterrupted take of him dancing. It's it's just some of the most incredible performance of any kind I've ever seen captured on film. And because he's so montage every time they cut back to him, he's doing some new (laughs) thing. You're just like, where are these fucking moves coming from? And his energy is so bizarre because you put him in this context of like, oh, here's this insincere, glad-handing, like Hollywood bullshit phony. And then when he comes back in this final stretch, you're like, he kind of feels like Satan now. Right. Or at least some sort of like guardian of the threshold right? right like some kind of yeah he's part of the same vibe of that jessica lang is part of right? but it's like, like an unearthly that's yeah. a that's a seven minute oscar nomination no he's me. incredible and you can yeah. bump the kid from kramer versus kramer get him out of there <laughs> or mickey rooney for the black stallion yeah. one of those weird kind of like oh you know you know you're... who's the fifth uh well the other nominees are robert duvall for apocalypse now who okay it's pretty good performance, performance. Yeah. yeah yeah and yeah. frederick forrest but for also the not that much screen time no, no. but i mean duvall no. in apocalypse now no 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 i'm not arguing it's ridiculous. The, I'm not arguing <laughs> yeah. point. especially I'm just saying in terms of screen time yes. it's, it's yes. about commensurate with that's ben, a fair it? point yeah it's true yeah, like right. duvall's probably right. in 10 minutes the difference is napalm and he keeps him moving it's really it's it's really does that napalm good this time of day perfect out of here He's so like ripped in Apocalypse. Now. I know. It's it is that whole you're like this is Duval. Like you I know, know. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. No, because even before. like I'm thinking about if there are any other bankable leading men of this moment who could have pulled it off as well as um, Schreider did. And it's like Duval's almost the guy who's right. angry enough to pull it off, but I don't know if he could be seductive enough in the same right. way. You know? Mm-hmm. No, he would probably couldn't. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to say no because he's a good actor. But yeah. Yeah, um, but Scheider's amazing. I, I don't want to take a it away. Time can see Larry. <laughs> yeah, he's not. This movie has yep. two of the greatest openings of all time. Go ahead. Like I think just the cold open of the the Showtime, the classical music, the waking up in the mirror, and then going to on Broadway. Yeah, are just like two incredible. So like unsettling openings. and haunting too. Yes. It's 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 so good. Allenheim talks about that like as they cut that sequence. And they were showing it to the people at the other stages of post-production, the sound mixers and everything. Everyone kept on calling up and they were like, oh, you're winning the Oscar this year. Like just from that sequence, they were like, buddy, you got it. And he was like, I kind of know I got it. (laughs) Like they just watched it and they were like, this thing's fucking dynamite. And it is like a complete statement in and of itself. It's, It's like you totally get the the weird heartbreak of being in that position. There's so many little mini stories every time he has a little interaction of giving someone the good news or the bad news. Honey, I did fuck him and I didn't get it. Yeah. (laughs) It's incredible. And there's the guy who is so off. Yeah. That his kid's laughing at him. Yeah. It's no, it's all of it. It's and that was filmed at the Palace Theater of Liza Minnelli Infamy Liza at the Palace. Right. And um Bob had an earwig in uh, Roy's ear for that whole sequence. So he's literally he's giving in him the his head being like, tell her she looks beautiful. Or whatever wow. the fuck he's saying. <laughs> God. Uh, so, um, okay, yes. It's hard to go through all that jazz plot-wise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's not really... It's not like it's formless, but it is 
right? Like it's help. almost like you have to go through the elements more exactly. than the plot. Exactly. These right. are the things Joe Gideon is juggling. Right. He's trying right. to make the comedian. He's trying to make the comedian. A film on the comedian. Later to be perfected by Taylor Hackford. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Um, and then he's trying to. Is it the stand-up or the comedian? You're right. It's called oh, the stand-up. Stand You're right. Fuck, my joke sucks. Um, <laughs> uh, he's trying to do that. He's trying to do the, the airplane musical. Uh, NY slash LA, right? Is yeah. what it's called. Yeah. I love their confidence of just like, this thing is a fucking surefire hit. This thing is going to print money. Um, <laughs> and But yeah, but it's like he's watching dailies. Mm-hmm. Every morning he wakes up, he takes pills, he rushes, you know, he rubs water on yeah. his face. He says I can't put eye drops in without thinking of Joe Gideon. I don't know about you. No. It's very visceral. <laughs> he really captures, like, the grossness of it. Just yeah. the bathroom mirror. I think anytime I look in a bathroom mirror. The address on his prescription uh, is literally one building over from where he actually lived. This okay. was... So Alan... he, he hit yeah. it. So, yeah, he really hit it. I looked at 61, and he, I think it's 57 on the pills. <laughs> wait, so wait, where, and where did he live? Wait, where where did Bob Fosse live? Like, West six, East 61st Street, I think. Sure. Yeah. Sure. No, West 61st Street. It's a, it's a Central Park West. It was the, the editor's argument where he'd be like, so you, and he'd be like, that's not me, it's Joe Gideon. He's like, Bob, your fucking address is on the pill. Like, it's like, <laughs> right. it's right. your labels. Um, And he's, you know, it's Bob Fosse. His ex-wife is working on the show. Right. But obviously she thinks he's a piece of shit. What's the thing he's telling you? Is Dexedrine? Uh, he takes Dexedrine. Uh, Visine and Alka-Seltzer. Right. right. I think the, the whole thing with Dexedrine is it's like immediate action. Right. So the Showtime thing is supposed to be like the he's, second he's pop waking that up. it's on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, he's got his girlfriend who's played <laughs> by his real girlfriend. He's got his daughter. Uh, he keeps seeing an angel of death and chatting with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just your, one, of, one of those movies. And yeah. he's a mean prick who's always taking things out on people. Yes. Right? Yes. I don't know how else to describe. He lives uh, in an incredible apartment. He does. That um, is like yeah. a gorgeous, gorgeous Manhattan apartment. Like, yeah. blown away. It's got two floors. That's another incredible sequence. The the Harry Nielsen Perfect Day sequence. Mm-hmm. Where you go from just like the idyllic life to realizing like, oh, she's at the other side of the door. And the song immediately becomes like completely ironic and just brutal. Oh. When Annie Ranking walks in with the dog and she says, I'm sorry. She nails that fucking moment of just like, it's so fucked up that she's blaming herself oh. and that she's just like, I'm stupid to have ever thought it wouldn't be this. It's so chilling to watch it in a way. Yeah. Like for her to be like living this out as she was living her real life must yeah. have been with him. I, you know, it's crazy. so bizarre. Is she still alive? And well, Ranking? I think she very yeah, recently Yeah, she died passed. very recently. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah, that's right. Um, um, no, but it, yes, it is, it is, uh, so wild that it is her. You know, it's almost more wild that she's the only person playing herself. Like it makes it more extreme where it's right, like it you're might... putting her through the ringer when you're at the most extreme point of your relationship with her. Yeah. Um, uh, Bob's daughter, Nicole has a cameo in this movie, but she's not playing the daughter. Right. Sure. She plays like one of the kids. Like you see her dancing in the background. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the the actress plays the daughter in this. This is the only thing she ever did. Right, she's, she's got a is un- She's so charming. She has a, a difficult to pronounce name uh, as Erzabet Foldy. I think that's how it's said. Yes, yeah. uh, and then when best. she's like 
giving it in the final the number where days. she's dancing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, the dance with and ranking that they do for, for oh, Joe in the yes. apartment is, is yes. maybe the most charming it is. number. It, yeah. It's kind of the only sweet moment. And it's still tinged with all this weird melancholy, obviously, because yeah. it's like, you know, there's a relationship there that you wish he had more of, right? right? Or, right. But, but, or, or could enjoy But more. it is so incredibly charming. Right. And and the, and the, the dance practice scene. Yeah. I mean, that weird, like... But there's like nothing. I don't know. It's who, the only way he knows how to communicate with people. Yeah. I don't know who she is because there's no. This is all she ever yes, did. Yeah. Yes. There's yeah. there's a years later interview with her on the Criterion thing. It's her ranking. Okay. Yeah. That um that sequence where he's he's talking to his daughter while he's dancing with her. That was one of the first things Bob filmed because. I think Roy at one point said to him, wait a minute, Bobby, you want me to sing, dance, and act at the same time? <laughs> Can this be done? <laughs> Can it be done? So it, was, it really was like the both the deep end and like right. this is this is how it's going to work. Yeah, yeah. And where he's, you know, he's putting him through his paces. He's he's choreographing. Joe right. Gideon is choreographing. But right. he's also having this very sort of, you know, one of the only honest relationships he has. But I think it works because Scheider just always looks so haggard and stressed. Yes. And he's a very handsome guy, but he's got that weird quality to his handsomeness. There's that, there's that odd intensity to him. Yeah. And he, in most movies, is so fucking serious that something about him smiling is a little unnatural. Right? Right. Like, it, it's funny he's a little that like he reptilian became or such yeah. a big star. Because yeah. he does not have a traditional kind of charm to him. As as you said, there's the pinched quality that was always there, even in some of the biggest fucking movies <laughs> of all time. Did you guys ever watch Sequest DSV? I never did. R.I.P. Jonathan Brandis. There you go. There you it's, go. It's, that was my introduction to it. Yeah. And that's sort of Spielberg going like, we got to get Roy work. Right? I think so. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah, he was right. That was the the, 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 the end of his career. Yeah. Uh, but no, he's just so well cast here. I mean, any, I don't know. I just can't imagine anyone else. I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at like stills in the movie now and he's just, he's so tired. I just love it. He's yeah. 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 And there's something like, it, 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 there's something, I don't know, like, like a buttery about him, you know? Wait, what's the word you just used? Buttery? I don't. Buttery? I don't. I'm trying. I'm trying to even think you of how to spread them on toast. This. Well, yeah. Mm, sure. Right. No, but there's this. There's something just a little like he's slick, but in a way that's a little bit sticky and gross. Yeah, you know, <laughs> right. But like, not to the extent that you're like, well, this is just a monster. Why would any woman pay any attention? No, but you're to like, him? this he's is going to leave residue. He's magnetic. Like, right. Yes, I'm not right. going to be able to get this out of my clothes. Yeah. That yeah. butter metaphor really took us on the journey. Look, I fucking, I was willing that thing into the train station. Um, uh, Keith Gordon, of course, star of uh, Christine, later mm-hmm. filmmaker in his own right, mm-hmm. has that like terrifying sequence doing the child sort of burlesque performances. Right. And not realizing he's like uh, dancing with a huge semen stain on him. Yep. Yeah. But that, I forgot that that's Keith Jordan as baby Joe. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, um, but it is, it's such a good, like, you know, F- Fosse Verdon, the, the series digs into this more deeply, but it's like, that's like one sequence that pretty much gives you so much of what you need to know about this guy's entire relationship to, to women to sex, and sexuality. Yeah, Unsupervised at 13. Right. Seeing things and experiencing things he never should have experienced. Right, right. And then and it, it's that, all that getting tied into part of guilt, performing. shame, performance, yeah, yeah. him existing in worlds but that it he's just not feels ready so, for. Yeah. So crazy for him to put that on screen. 
Yes. Not that it's not a part of the Fosse legend or whatever, that that was his childhood. But was that known then? Like, this is my question with it Fosse It feels kind of surprisingly 70s. revealing. Like, it's a thing you'd imagine he wouldn't be ready to work through. I can read the book. I can right. learn about Bob Fosse. But in the 70s, is it like, oh, that guy is a horn dog? Like, yeah. like you know, because it's like, this is in general release. People are going to see it around the country yeah. and they're coming away with, like, you know, right? Like... That's that's what I guess I'm trying to. Like, I think there untangle. must have been some level of gossip column fixture. I guess right? so. Yeah, I mean the guy did Hey Big Spender, which is like the craziest, you know, prostitution mm-hmm. MGM musical sure. number of mm-hmm. all time. Like, yes. mm-hmm. yeah. so he's he's associated with with know, burlesque, and right? Yeah. Sexier, and, right? Raw, and, right, and then yeah. So, yeah, so much of his career is like taking removing the veneer of respectability that exists in show business and performance and being like, no more euphemisms here. What are we actually talking about? And this is a little bit pathetic and desperate and grimy and unpleasant. And I guess Lenny, his last movie, had been such a boundary-breaking movie as well. Like, that was so much part of the... And Cabaret was as well. His his depiction of his mother is so grotesque. Like, it's like this low angle and it's like there's junk in the background and... It looks like one of those like Bill and Ted hell sequences. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's a bogus journey. It's yeah, bogus it's very journey. bogus. Yeah. It's his mom. Yeah, this is kind of Joe Gideon's bogus journey. I mean, that is what's going on in all. <laughs> that, that must jazz. have been a working title, right? right? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, good. Two um, best three out of five. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, she's Adler, you know Adler. That's who she had is. the Jessica Lang part in this. <laughs> Um, Why won't you cast me in your shows? <laughs> uh, so right, so Cliff Gorman, we should you know, we should again, sure. mention him briefly, but he played Lenny. Uh, he's also he was he was in like the original Boys in the Band, I think. Like, yeah, he's one of those like theater guys from the seventies. Um, and you're watching a movie that it feels very different from Lenny in a way, and that he's so animated. Yes. Whereas like the Hoffman performance is much more like laced with cynicism and like right confidence. Or it's like the, the stand-up like, What's or the dig he gives at both Dustin Hoffman and himself? He goes, he goes, he's mumbling. And I'm the idiot that let him mumble. <laughs> Which is totally true. He does mumble. It's, a, it's, it's Dustin Hoffman for crying out loud. You're hiring a mumbler. That's his so thing. So the scenes in the editing room, it's Alan Heim playing himself. Right. Right. And he said, like, I had my assistant editor and we had our, like, intern or whatever. Right. And they were supposed to play themselves, but he thought the intern was more attractive as the blonde lady. So he, like, changed their roles so she could be closer to lens, right? But Alheim's playing himself and he was like, I want this moment where I ask you to do a cut and you sort of, like, raise your eyebrows disapprovingly to the beat of the cut, right? And Alheim's got these big fucking bushy Peter Gallagher eyebrows. Sure. They're like huge, like yeah, right. Yeah. George Whipple. Yes, absolutely. And so he was like, just give me give me an eyebrow raise. And he did it. And he was like, smaller, smaller, smaller. Fosse was always, I hate acting, don't act, just behave. Smaller, 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 smaller. And then they get there and they look at the footage and he's like, Show me the smallest take we have. And he's like, Bob, that was the smallest. <laughs> and he goes, like, I can't, I can't believe, I can't believe I fucking let this happen. Like, how did I not get a smaller take than that? Right. And Allenheim said, I'm not an actor. And he went, But you're a person. <laughs> <laughs> and I oh, should Jesus. have been able to get more out of you. God. Like it was this weird thing of his just like obsession with I can manipulate people I can get mm. anything out of anyone even mm. the things they think they don't have inside of them yeah there, there's a sequence uh, in the original draft it's not in the film where he says show me the cut of uh, from Valerie to Dustin mm-hmm. it's like it's like I-, I want the shot of Valerie to Dustin and like Haim is like 
he never shot it. He never shot it. And they're all talking about how he never shot it. He goes, yeah. and he has this tantrum. Right. It's in his head. It's right. in his head. Yes. And yeah. then finally he goes, I never shot it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> he does always give himself shit at the end. It's true. It's like, true. that's the it, one thing about Joe Gideon slash Bob Fosse. Yeah. yeah he, he is not like some deluded fool who, no. like, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. He pulls away the football yes. on himself. <laughs> on himself. Yeah. You've... When so you edited Tick Tick Boom, I was like, like, were you in the editing room for the like for in the heights or anything like? It seems like a nightmare to edit a musical. Is it like just uh, just how I precise? It's, I you think have it's to be? more fun. Okay, I mean, fair enough. I, literally, I think I think the the worst musical is more fun to watch than some good movies. Well, um, that, that's well, that's my personal uh, bailiwick. But I um I more mean just like the preciseness of everything yeah, you have to do. I, right, the, yeah, the, the the toughest one for us was the therapy number, which is actually the most Fosse Rob Marshallish sequence yeah. we have um, because we've got like the the musical number Jonathan Larson has written and then we've got like the fight that inspired the number and they're happening at the same time. Right. Yeah. Um, and originally that song was longer and originally that fight was longer and we are cutting it down to sort of its bare essentials but there's also a tempo shift sure the song starts really slowly and gets faster and faster so that was the real nightmare yeah that seems so annoying was like you can't just like cut two lines i have to i I have to ramp up the tempo in the underscoring to get to the next section so that got very like higher math right (laughs) you can't just be like Okay, let's watch like six versions of this and see and see what works best or what. Yeah. Right, you have to match it all to the rhythms. I don't know. I mean, they talk about like Lenny. They sort of found <laughs> too much <laughs> work. I'll skip it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Hey, uh, Lenny Cabaret. They sort of found the editing rhythms and the structures and how to have so the different well worlds movies. sort of uh, in dialogue with each other right. in post. Right. And then this movie, he tried to like write that into the script. Right. Like the interplay between all of it. At a certain point, it was like it's too difficult. It's better to just shoot everything as it is and then find the weird echoes. But that, you're right because, like, of course, cabaret. Right? It's like you're in. You're either yeah. in the the show. You're either in mm-hmm. the cabaret or you're in the whatever real world. And you you, you know he's yeah. so good at switching between. But in this, it's like you never really feel like you're in the real world, even when he's you know working like no, when he's no. like you know choreographing like i don't know it always feels like some dream he's having on the slab right like as he's the, like the near death, death. right yes. i mean i i hope this does not come across uh uh oh, critical in any way but when it was announced that you were doing the tick tick boom movie i was like okay here's a guy who has blank check status right now if he wants to direct a movie musical presumably you could do anything you wanted no disrespect to Tick, Tick, Boom, but why is that the thing you'd pick? And then I remember seeing the trailer and going, oh, he's fucking doing all that jazz with Larson's life. Like, now it totally makes sense to me yeah. of here's a guy who similarly was obsessed with the ticking clock. Totally. No, there's a shot of the ticking clock in all that jazz. It gave me chills yeah. when I rewatched it on Wednesday night. Yeah. But they I'm, just pan away from him, show right. a clock, and come back to him. But you can yeah, tell this the thing you're saying about the book, the, right. the countdown of the book, right? Yeah, yeah. But the, yeah. the the narrative of oh, what's the actual work I'm adapting, and what's the life story I can have running in tandem to his fictionalized version of his life? Yeah, yeah. But, and for me, for me, the the part I had to discover because. The fun for me of Tick, Tick, Boom was there is no definitive version of Tick, right. Tick, Boom. Right. There were like six versions of a one-man show he did with Roger Bart singing back up. Right. Like right. from 1989 to 1994. To tiny audiences. Yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. They got more and more 
bitter as he got as his as 30th his... birthday was like in the rear view and yeah. he's still performing his his one man show the right. final straw i think he got a performance at the public but they scheduled it the same day as the public's christmas party <laughs> and so drunk people are wandering in and out while he's performing tick tick boom and he was like i'm done with this piece like that yeah. was the straw that broke the camel's back right and um and then it it's sort of getting adapted into and the then three it got person ad- it piece. got adapted right. posthumously by by david auburn and scott schwartz steven schwartz's son okay. uh, directed uh, that off broadway version and that's what i saw yeah. and that's a three person show and so the the, oppor- the the thing i had to discover because I, I had what he wrote about himself. I had sort of, and the poignance that takes on with mm-hmm. his untimely passing. But um, the fun for me was finding his working process. Like that's yeah. the thing that all that jazz has in spades, right? Like how Fosse worked, how he worked with dancers, how he came up with um, ideas. So that was like a big trip to the Library of Congress. And there's an amazing guy named Mark Eden Horowitz who runs all the musical theater archives. He's got Sondheim's papers and Hammerstein's Jeez, papers. That seems like a cool job. And he, it really is. Yeah. And he puts on a show for you too. He was like, here's the draft copies of So Long Farewell from Sound of Music. And right. you see like, sayonara crossed out. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like all this crazy <laughs> shit. Um, like it's, it's, it's really amazing. But the thing he pointed out to me was uh, this notion that Jonathan Larson wrote questions. He would write himself questions and the song would be the answer to the question. So he would write. I mean, the most famous example is like, how do you measure a year? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And you've got a piece of paper that says like 52 weeks, you know, (laughs) 365 days, 525. Oh, (laughs) got it. Yeah. Um, But I, I, when I learned that about his process, um, the fact that the last song in the show Every lyrics a question. I found that like amazing and heartbreaking, and just like oh, like yeah, this is this is a portrait of an artist like interrupted. Okay, and- he, that's the thing. It's yeah. the, it's so fascinating that like that is something he wrote before he died, but it feels retrospective, right? Yeah, he, in, he wrote it, his own like. All that jazz, but and that's he didn't the thing. Know that's what all that jazz it. is too. It's not like Bob Fosse right. like wrote the screenplay and then died, and someone else made it. Like no. he's predicting his future. Yeah, and it is so. Like yeah, it, it's similarly retrospective. And with so, the yeah. Larson thing, it's like him and the Larson dying thing is will always be too. the headline of his story. It's like, can you believe this guy never got to see the success? Like right. that's. I mean, it's I remember so my tragic, dad yeah. explaining that to me. Like you, you don't know the thing with rent. Like, this is the whole point, is that... It's so crazy. Yeah. It's so crazy. And the time... But, you know, it's interesting feels, because yeah. that's true for our generation, but yes. there are, you know, now Rent is decades old. Oh, and sure. there's people who don't know that story yeah. at all. And I didn't know how few people knew it until we started test screening it. That's fascinating. And realizing, oh, we actually need to put context. That yeah. makes sense to me because it's true. This. Like, it's on the whole Rent phenomenon that we're thinking of is actually in the past. Like, not yeah. that Rent is still not a famous show that people like, but the whole sort of The show itself is just an institution. It is beyond yeah. us. Right, right. right. Yeah. You're away yeah. from yeah. the original Where the main lyric is no yeah. day but today, and this guy didn't live to see it. Right, like, right. And it's right. a show that is literally about, like, seizing the moments and everyone having no, clocks why, on them. Why it's okay. such a good here's another. Here's another insane question for you, but it just struck me. When you're talking about going to, like, the Library of Congress and looking at these notes and everything... Do you, how do you reconcile? And do you just not fucking think about it? And am I ruining your brain right now by asking you this? <laughs> oh boy. When you're working on anything that any, any piece of your process now has historical significance, 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I really try. You not just to think try about to fucking that. never. You shouldn't think about, think about, about it. it. You shouldn't. Yeah. yeah. No, that's. I think that way lies madness. Like, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, and, and there's so and many artists who failure, they either right. try to go bigger that's in the, the wake of success, yeah. and it gets crazy and overblown, or I, I don't know. But. That is, of course, what our stupid podcast often is. Is like, what do you do after you make the sixth sense? Like, right. how do you yeah. re respond to something like that where it's like, I didn't even mean for this to be some sort of cultural and now thing. I have, and now, and it now is. it has to be the twist ending guy. Exactly. Right. So do I, I the public has lean a, into a it? Do I run away from it? Yes. Do I go bigger? Yeah, do right. I go smaller? I, yeah, I, right. I think that the, the, for me, the, the answer is like choosing the right heroes. Like, Rebel Without a Crew by Robert Rodriguez sure. was like my shit when mm-hmm. I was 17. He was like, he made his own movie for $8,000. How do I do that? Like, mm-hmm. I remember thinking that and devouring that book. And he talks about sophomore slump and he says, the answer is to do so much different shit that no one actually knows what your sophomore project right. is. Right. Don't actually have a second album. Yeah. Just do like he, eight things. So he did four rooms and mm-hmm. he did, you know, a Showtime series. He just did no, all this different No, because I, yeah, look, you're right. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would imagine the. And sometimes the other hero that I choose, who just always like just right. never repeated himself, just keeps doing it. But like you, you, and also do, didn't try and go bigger, like or right. whatever. He would usually go lateral or right, yeah. like you say, you just pick something completely. Like yeah. what he's doing, Pacific overtures. Why would he do that? You know, like yeah. and it's like you know, fuck you. He's but I, he knows uh, he's yeah, done. it feels like the only healthy way. <laughs> who are you cursing out right now? I don't fuck know. you, naysayers of like Pacific overtures. It's a great show, exactly. Piece of shit. No, it feels like the only way you can wrap your head around following up Hamilton without losing your mind is try a bunch of different shit and make relieve the pressure of anything needing to be the follow-up to Hamilton. Like, you're, yeah. you're, you are... I'll never write a history musical again. Oh, no, you should. Come on. Yeah. Sam and Chase, or... Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of, like, some... No, but, like, you, you <laughs> have so many different talents and interests <laughs> that you're able to just, like, keep yeah. just embers going and trying different things and... Yeah, I mean that's the hope. And yeah. and again, like they just take too long for you to like be like, I should do this. You sure. can't power the amount of energy required to make something if it's like, this is what I should be doing. Yeah. It has to be the thing that doesn't leave you alone. Otherwise you'll just put it down. I, I find I'll just put it down. I just get bored and yeah. You see, if it was Sam and Chase, you could have a song about swimming upstream. <laughs> You know, you could do a whole fish thing. I'm actually getting into a Sam. I don't actually know if Sam and Chase uh, was a good guy, though. I mean, I, I should he, Google he him. Was a, he was an, I mean, no, I'm not going to go on a deep. I'll, offline, not, I'll go on, on a deep on. thing on You don't want to talk Chase. Sam and Chase? He's a com- he is a, the most compelling character in the Doris Kearns Goodwin book, Team of mm, Rivals, because right. he was the staunchest abolitionist, but then he got very power hungry in Doris's telling. And when... Yeah, Lincoln finally wrote the Emancipation Proclamation. He said, "I don't think you should do it because he wanted to be the one to do it." Sounds like uh, a good subject for a musical. Because <laughs> he presides the over the Johnson impeachment, right? Like that's pretty dramatic. I don't know. I'm just imagining Salmon with an exclamation. Point. I'm not imagining <laughs> oh, no. how people would respond if it came out like Lin Manuel announces Salmon. <laughs> he really, he's really going to just do that again. He's just going to pull a different guy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for bringing up Sam and Chase. I think I always think about him because all was... period specific music. It's an all white cast. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you go, you go the opposite. Way. You do 1776. Like, what? Yeah. What? what? Yeah. Very traditional. You know they're bringing back 1776. I was very rude about 1776, the movie on this podcast. On an recently. episode, he said people it, got quote, really mad at me. It still hangs. How do you feel about the movie of 1776 if you've ever seen it? I, I mean, I, it feels like a pretty faithful record. It's exactly. It's not it's much further along. Than 
Like, it feels almost like a screen grab of the show. Right. Because it was the original cast. Yeah. Right. And, and they just kind of got everybody. I don't, you know. I just, I don't know. My mom put it on. It was one of those things where we were, like, in an Airbnb. And <laughs> it's like, they have four DVDs. And we've seen three of them. 1770, let's put it on. And I was just writhing. Da- David know. fucking bodied it. And we still get messages from people, like, defending it. Yeah, people yeah. being like, how dare you? And now there's, like, some re-release. Because people love yeah. Mr. Feeny. Yeah, that's it's true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, they, you shit on Mr. Feeny? How dare yeah, you? How dare I, didn't, you? I didn't specifically shit on Mr. him. Mr. Matthew. David, real <laughs> 90s kids understand that you can't shit on Mr. Feeny. Real 76 kids. Whatever. Yeah. Leave me alone. Um <laughs> Uh, now just have Sam and my favorite part of the podcast are David's asides to imaginary just missives (laughs) coming at him Lynn's favorite part of the podcast Steven Spielberg (laughs) yeah right (laughs) me mad at the the, the Pacific Overtures critics (laughs) they existed they did uh, I'm trying to think of like major sequences we haven't talked about I mean he has a heart attack I guess we haven't really like all the medical stuff is kind of like impressively nasty. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty grisly. Like, it doesn't have to be as, like, they. I feel like they make it more grisly, or not more, but, like, more realistic than... It, well, did they show real fucking open hearts. This is what I'm saying. It's the thing that, like... It's, it, like, visceral. It remains still truly shocking. Yeah. Like, and Scheider is so, like, taut, and, like, his yeah. skin feels so, like, drawn over his face that it feels like you could kind of just, like tear a hole in him with your finger you know what I mean Roy Scheider is like a human being who looks like he's like stuck in like sausage casing you know right that, where you just You're feel just, like that's just the tight shirt he's wearing in Bye Bye Love oh, well additionally <laughs> having worn a facsimile of it sure. it's sausage casing <laughs> no but I think his skin as well you know that it is like when they cut into him you're just expecting like the tension's gonna release like a rubber band yeah um so I don't know if there's any like hospital stuff we want to talk about. I mean, I mentioned in Lenny in our Lenny episode, mm-hmm. I think that he would literally like grab every nurse's ass, and then I was like watching this movie, and I was like, oh right, that's just in all that jazz. Like, <laughs> right, that's yeah, not, right. You just, don't need to read a biography for that. Right, yeah, that's just happening. Uh, yeah. CCH Pounder, a young CCH Her Pounder, first film, I yes. believe. Yes. yes, popping up as a nurse. That was great. You, it was great. She's you the best. Did email me Lynn on Wednesday night just a photo of Wallace Shawn. That's right. Yep. No subject in that email. Just I, look a wild Wallace Shawn. Responded, come in. Come in. Wallace Shawn. Theoretically. Exactly. Yeah. Basically <laughs> pitching the producers to him, right? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. if you kill this guy, he'll actually make, make more a money profit. with a flop than a yeah. Which isn't the whole thing that it's like impossible to make money on like a show, right? Like, is that like kind of the yes. joke there a little or bit? Or that is just such it, a yeah, risky most shows, bet. One in yeah. five shows. It's a hugely difficult proposition. I don't know why we keep doing it. Well, it's nice because yeah. we yeah. like theater and it's good. One in five make back their money and most of them just come out even, yeah. right? Like of the ones that make back their money, they're like, okay, we can close without taking a fucking haircut. What did you guys think of all the exaggerations of just like the behind the scenes and like the investors and like there's that one character actor who uh, stuck out to me. Well, there's David Margulies, who's the mayor in Ghostbusters. Yes. One of my favorite New York character actors. I got to talk to him. Really? Really? Yeah. Yeah, He also passed away recently. Yeah. I run a film series in Washington Heights over at the United Palace and he was my guest for Ghostbusters. Hell yeah. Lenny. (laughs) <laughs> a, a quiet, like maybe the secret weapon of Ghostbusters. Yeah, um, you're you're doing Raiders this weekend, right? Yeah, yeah. We got Spielberg That's for Raiders. It's wild. insanity. You, you have Spielberg. <laughs> you must have met Spielberg at this point, right? Have you? Already... I I met Spielberg. Okay. Uh, well, 
the crazy thing was that Heights and West Side Story were filming within two blocks oh, of yes. each other. Right, you were both yeah. uptown. The same right. summer of right. 2019. And one of my, maybe my all-time great days. I like to, like, at the end of the day, be like, I think that was a top five great day. I spent the day writing lyrics for Alan Menken mm -hmm. for this, like, new Little Mermaid tune. Mm -hmm. And then I had to furiously drive back for the closing scene of In the Heights. It was like, literally, all the hydrants are open. Like, we had the original cast there. My wife has a cameo in that mm. shot. Like, her dad is there who grew up in the neighborhood. And then, like, you know, we're trying to get the light. And we have five fucking hydrants open. I'm, like, crying with every take. Um, and we wrap. That's the last shot. And then, and then like, the moment with the little girl putting on the hat was improvised. Like, that's John M. Jimmy, yeah. like, put your hat on her head. And you're like, ah! No. And, and that's that the moment. take. And, and it's a wrap on the day. And I walk two blocks north to 177th Street, and they're fucking filming Maria. Um, like, it was like, and by the way, Because like, they actually filmed that in, like, an actual place. Like, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Not they filmed a... it in, like, a back alley between That's four so buildings cool. on 177th That's Street. so cool. And I had a bunch of friends on that show. Tony Kushner's, like, longtime associate, Antonia, uh, and I went to high school together. And she actually, she's weirdly also the reason I ended up going to the college I went to, because she to snuck Wesleyan. me into a film class yeah. uh, to Wesleyan, and she snuck me into, um, it was a senior level Hitchcock class, and Janine Basinger, who's like the god of the film department at Wesleyan, like gets up in front of the class and goes, some of you aren't supposed to be here. And like looks at me and she goes, but this is such a rare print of Otto Preminger's Bunny Lake is Missing yeah. that I wouldn't like begrudge anyone. Right, I wouldn't like, kick anyone out. I wouldn't out. kick yeah. anyone, yeah. Out. anyone out. Right. Fucking roll it. And like, Pepper it was an roll. amazing movie. The class was supposed to be from one to four. It ended up going till six just because we couldn't stop talking. I was like, I want to go where... I want yeah. to go where people are this passionate about movies. Like, I almost missed my bus back to New York. Um, and so, yeah, so I walk up to 177th Street and, like, Spielberg is figuring it out. And he's and he still has, like, student spirit. He's yeah. like, let me show you, like, my like I'm figuring out how to shoot this. Like, I've never shot a musical before. And he's showing me, like, things he's trying on his iPhone. Yeah. It really feels like that movie especially was that for him, right? Where he was really excited again to be like, I, yeah. this is, like, a new new world for me. Have you gotten to spoken, speak to him outside of that? Or, like, was your one I've meeting with him? I've only just seen him okay. at things. At the job. Like, that moment, right. I just got, a like, a nice film geek moment yeah. with him. Between, Absolutely. Like, and literally, the, what they were shooting was the, like, Maria! <laughs> and, like, the pan up to Jesus. her. And, and he was just trying to get the timing on that right and they were far from doing it and then I walked home because I was in my neighborhood. Yeah, right. neighborhood that's the other part of the top fiveness I like I remember I was walking uh, I was walking just across the neighborhood back to my apartment and like two guys on the stoop one of the guys was like Hamilton the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> I was like, I still live here. <laughs> Do people call you Hamilton on the street like that? Uh, in my neighborhood, it's 50-50 Usanavi and Hamilton. Okay, okay. Sure. okay. For many years, it was Usanavi, and I love that. Yeah, right. yeah, that rules. Yeah. I think that, look, that story in and of itself is a fundamental difference between you and Bob Fosse. That, like, you can talk about, like, I'm able to step back and look at that day and the immense just sort of, like, satisfaction, oh, yeah. appreciation I felt from that day. That feels good. What a lucky life. Yeah, I my have. whole, yeah, I don't have a broken thing right I'm that day would have made you you're not miserable like pouring yeah. dirt into a yeah. hole right. being like right. why won't it ever fill I don't but, understand. Bob Fosse yeah. would have walked away from that day going like what am I supposed to do tomorrow now <laughs> or he would have made a fictional Spiel Spielberg's out to fuck right. fucking right. Spielberg fuck my movie. Right. he thinks he can pan away. two blocks away yeah, he's trying to steal my location services in my shop 
shot. I mean, his famous Oscar speech where he's like, this and some of the other recent events have threatened to turn me into something of an optimist. Right. And he says it speech. so begrudgingly. Right. Um, no, I, I, I was in the worst thing Martin Scorsese's ever directed, the pilot for HBO's Vinyl. Oh, and there was the worst. Thing. I think it is. It I think be. it is. Uh, and it's so not. It's pretty. It's darn okay. Watchable. It's yeah. certainly the best episode of vinyl. But uh, stiff competition there. But there's a, a boardroom uh, meeting scene with like twelve speaking parts, and there was a moment where everyone's just waiting. And, and like his whole thing is like, I I really can't focus. I I have to just think about all this stuff in my head. So when I come out of the video village, please, everyone, just be quiet, right? And he's always like, it's not a diva thing. It's not sure, a sure, respectful sure. silence thing. I just have a hard time focusing. So he comes out, and everyone just sort of, like, holds and looks at him, and he's, like, waiting for the command of what's going to be next, right? And the whole camera team's waiting for what the next setup is. And he stands there, and he just starts pointing at different corners and, like, going like this. And Cannavale was, like, the one guy who sort of had the clout from the actors to be like, I can ask him the film nerd questions. He's like, Marty, what the fuck are you? What are you doing now? And he was just like, I, I just can't figure out the spatial geography of this. And it's Martin Scorsese. And he was like, I always just, I, I never remember where the fucking camera should be. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, we do have that. And, then they, and he's like, this fuck, there's a reason I don't do scenes like this. And he, and he was like, you're you're being like self-effacing. And he's right. like, no, I usually like it's a reason I'll do long steady cam shots and stuff because I just always cross the line. I never know how to do it. Right. And it's like those guys truly the secret is that every single time they don't think they know how to pull off that movie. Mm. It's right. both picking things you haven't done before yeah. to test yourself, but also remaining in that headspace of being like, I'm constantly learning, I could constantly be better. I could constantly evolve. The the big sequence I feel like we need to talk about is the the presentation of the uh, and New York L A. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Which, the erotica. It's already like which you watch that now. If again, like I think the first time I watched it and was able to process it, not like as a kid. Yeah. Was like, oh, Paul Abdul jacked all of that for the cold hearted video. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, it's yeah, it's very true. And yeah. so many and so many people have just taken elements of that. It really does. Yeah, you're right. It feels almost MTV in yeah. some there's elemental Michael Jackson way. moves in there. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. so much. There's so much modern. I mean, we talked about this in the last episode, and that, like, the like the eroticism of it. It's a pre- yeah, yeah, is essentially it. lifted from his bit in the Little Prince movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that whole thing. Yes, is, is Michael Jackson. Yes, Michael Jackson. Yeah, grabbed yeah. a lot from it, and and to his credit, credited him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Like shattered him out of his. Um, yes, yeah. But that sequence is like you've seen the glimpses of the show up until that point. And you're just like, this thing's so fucking corny. It the seems corny. So happy the with pitch it. of it is bizarre. Right. The right. producers are actually into it. Right. Right. And you're just like, you know he's not going to settle for this, but is he going to fuck it up? Right. Then you get to that presentation where you're like, wow, he made it better. They all start applauding and then fucking more smoke. And they're like, I'm sorry to inform you, this is not over yet. Yeah. <laughs> and then fucking lights go down. I mean, that sequence is like 10 minutes. Both that and the if final not, number are like 10 minutes. Are, like sort are, of interestingly long yes like american in paris level yes. sort of like yes De- demanding patience from the audience that i feel like does not usually happen anymore like it's like everyone you know, yeah yeah and yeah. and and this thing of like this relentlessness of like how do you heighten this more now i mean the last 40 minutes of the movie are the stacking of all the death dream yeah numbers but like i remember the go, first time i saw it from feeling exhausted and not in a negative way but in a sort of like that movie is not something i want to throw on all the time like it yeah. you feel really like you know 
uh, wiped out by the end of it. And that sequence, too, I mean, first of all, like, if you don't like musicals, stay for the most incredible naked people you'll ever see yes, in your right, life. Right. Everyone just, looks great. Right. Everyone looks great. And then, like, there's also, like, the same sex couples that are dancing yeah. together. Yeah. Like, it's just, it is this, like, smorgasbord of, like, just... It still feels scandalous. It still, it still feels, feels modern yeah. and striking. And and it is, it's this thing that, like, these movies often struggle with. Movies about complicated geniuses. The Mr. Holland's open problem, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? When you see the person's big work... He's complicated. Do you believe but that it's that genius? fucking good? Mm. Yeah, that everyone's like... Right, and especially yeah. because he's not, like, restaging his own number, you know? He's not, like, having it be Pippin. Right. They're making up a fake musical. Yeah. And he's, like, going to the far edge, and it's all just summed up by the fucking reaction. What's the, the name of the actress who plays the wife, who was mostly a Broadway actor? Right? Um, Leland Palmer. Who's yeah. so good. And Which just is funny, because that's the name of a character in Twin Peaks. But yes. Yes, anyway. Uh, but, yeah, who's mostly a Broadway person, right? Like, she was yeah. in uh, Pippin... Uh, she was in Joyful, A Joyful Noise. Mm-hmm. She was in, you know, uh, Hello, Dolly back in the day. She's yeah. wonderful. She is, yes. Yeah. Just that, like, fuck you. It's I, the best I, thing you've ever done. To be clear, I think the the, the Twin Peaks is a, is a reference to her. Because, like, I think David Lynch is secretly a nerd about that stuff. Mm. Yeah. I mean, he cast Russ Hamblin and Richard Boehmer in Twin Peaks. Like, there's all that st- like, Whoa, quiet I, stuff I, in I, it. I never watched Twin Peaks. I didn't know that. They're both in it. And like not playing singers or dancers, mm, and like crazy. you just, I don't know. I don't know if anyone's ever asked Lynch, like, were you like a big musical nerd? Yeah, so he never answers things like that. No, directly. it's true. He don't think. Like, eh. How much would you pay for David Lynch's West Side Story, though? I would love to see that. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, it would. Be, I mean, his musical when he does musical sequences in his movies that are so good. You yeah. imagine him doing a top to bottom musical. All right, we should play the box office game, Griffin. Uh, yeah, I just want to say, I just, I just think, you know, we've talked about the ending a lot. Mm. But, like, it, it really is 40 minutes, like the last 40 minutes of the movie from when he goes under, pretty much, right? Sure. When he's, I, I like, about, going through the stages of grief right. and all that, yeah. Because he essentially has, like, the heart attack, like, an hour in. Yeah, you sure. The, 20 minutes yeah. Of the things the I forgot about rewatching it were the wandering the hospital sequence. Right, There's, right. Like, 20 where he, like, of, hugs right. the old lady and yes. kisses her. Right, right. Like, the, the my, bleeding out my brain the, blocked off. <laughs> yeah, there's that moment where he's bleeding out on the wall. Yeah. And then uh, him, him finding the other hospital employee in the commissary and doing the musical number with him. Um, but yeah, but then you get that last 40 minutes that just like builds and builds and builds and builds and builds. And then as, as much as it is like in so many ways, a tough watch, an exhausting movie, there's something about like the weird level of triumph to Bye Bye Life, even though it is so cynical and bleak. Like the fact that both of them look like they're having the time of their fucking lives and you have that that thing that always fucking gets to me, the, like, big fish thing of, like, oh, when you die, you see every single person you yeah, ever right. knew. Right. They're all just fucking there. Right. You know, it's your whole life you story here in this moment. Yep. And they do the thing, too, where it's, like, Keith Gordon is there as the younger version of him, as right. a separate person. And then just, like, that just building to such an exuberant high... Yeah, and then he's dead. And then he's just fucking dead. You play Ethel <laughs> Zip him up. S- smash cut. Zip him up. To the body. How else are you going to do it? God, I just imagine audiences just walking out like shell-shocked. I don't know. That's what I imagine. It was a hit. I Maybe I'm, you know. It's just, it's just, I wish we could have things this demanding of an audience in theaters all the time right now. And the people that people don't like movies right excited now. by it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, let's play the box office game. Mm-hmm. Lynn, we're going to try and guess the... Top five 
from you know Christmas 1979, essentially, which is oh, when this movie came out. This is, this is the month before I was born. There you oh, go. Wow. Okay. 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 Do you know what movie was number one at the box office when? There's that site. I know There's a Beatle site. got arrested for pot the day I was born. I think it was okay. it was McCartney or Harrison. I don't remember Hell which yeah. one. There's that site where you can enter your birthday and it'll tell you what was number one at the box. Of course. Right. Mine was The Burbs. I think mine was Top Gun. Okay. Um, Makes sense. Number yeah. one at the box office is a science fiction film. Uh, in 1979. We it covered is it on our Patreon. A science fiction film with Carter Patreon. It's a movie called Alien. Nope. What? It's not Alien. It's not Alien. We nope. covered it on our Patreon. It's nope. 1970. But Alien it's is 1979. Film. It is. Correct? But is, this is a film I stick up for. This is a movie that you stick up for. A lot up of people for. think oh, it's boring. It is boring. called Star Trek The Motion Picture, a.k.a. The Motion List Picture, because correct. they think it's boring. How do you feel about Star Trek 1? The Never original. Seen Never seen it. Never seen it. Are you You're a not Trek a Star guy? Trek person. I, no, I'm a Wars guy. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. I, I only uh, started really getting into it because of the podcast. Star Trek. Good cool. stuff. Motion picture good is stuff. great. Star Trek good. We've talked about it. Ben Number two at the box office okay. is a comedy starring one of your favorite people. Uh, is it Gene Wilder? Nope. Is it a Steve Martin? Uh, yes. Is it The Jerk? It's The Jerk. Wow, the best comedy. This is a pretty good top cans. five. He hates these cans. <laughs> he hates these cans. Number three at the box office is the biggest hit in 1979. It's going to win Best Picture. It's new uh, Kramer this versus week. Kramer. Kramer versus Kramer. It's coming out this week. Wow. Number four, it's a Disney movie. It's kind of a famous sort of flop for Animated them. or live action? Live action. It's a live action flop in It's one of those things that they keep saying they're oh, going to the remake black hole. it. The Black Hole. You've never seen that, right? I have seen The Black oh, Hole. Oh, you finally I have. have. I did. Okay. I watched it. It's on Disney+. Plus. I have was trying seen to convince the you to watch hole? it. Very boring. But I'm <laughs> Interesting. Because I thought... I watched it when it was up on Disney Plus, and I reached out to you, and I was just, I reached out to you. I sent a missive over your way. And I said, David, have you seen this fucking thing? This is the kind of boring sci fi movie I know. you love. And it's even too boring for you. It's too boring. I can't believe it's they released incredible that. But it's kind of cool. Mood to it. Yep. It it's does. just Maximilian Shell, Anthony Perkins, Robert Forster. What kid yes. doesn't want to see this? Yes. <laughs> uh, Roddy McDowell and Slim Pickens as robots. Borgnine. Borgnine's in it. Yeah. Uh, it's about a space station that's falling into a black hole. It's it looks incredible. Boring. It does look really cool. Yeah, it's got a cool vibe. The Number very five, very fucking boring. At the box office, mm-hmm. it's a comedy drama starring okay. two major movie stars. Mm. Um, it is actually a hit, but I don't think it's well remembered. It's actually, uh, a it's hit. from a big director. It's from a big director. It's actually a hit. It's 1979. It's a comedy. It features drama. an actress from Lenny. It features an actress from Lenny, but not Valerie Perrin. It Valerie Perrin is in it. What movie is this? It's Redford. I was just looking at her fucking film. Oh, it's Electric Horseman? It's The Electric Horseman. Never seen it. Redford and Fonda. Yeah. It's like I've a Western comedy, right? Right. Pollock made like seven. Sidney Pollock, yes. Redfords? Yeah. He made a lot of movies. He made a lot of Redfords. Some other movies. Steven Spielberg's 1941. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. The Rose, the Bette Midler movie. Sure. Something called Cuba with Sean Connery. Never heard Cuba. of that. Cuba. Cuba, I'm Cuba. going to Cuba. Yeah. Oh, am I Cuban? <laughs> no. Okay, good. <laughs> Thank God. I was, like, I was checking. I was like, you was Cuban? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like a, it's like a, a Cuban revolution movie. I've never heard wow. of this. Richard Lester. Wow. Part heaven, part hell. Pure Havana. That's the tagline. Whoa. It is a good tagline. Mm. <laughs> for Havana, like for Dirty Dancing Havana Nights, that would have been a great tagline. Sure. Yeah. It was a huge part bomb. Heaven, part hell. All dirty. All dirty. All Havana. Uh, that's it. We did what the box office. What were the other, thing. just, I, I, I need to ask, what were the other top 10 of 79? 
Oh, you want like right because aliens in that time, Kramer versus Kramer, yeah, all that jazz. All that jazz is in the top twenty. It's not in the top ten. Okay. Amityville Horror. Oh, oh sure. Rocky huge. Two. Yeah. Apocalypse Now. Star Trek. Alien. Ten. Uh huh. Which is a huge hit. Humongous. Karina Longworth was just talking about it on her podcast. The uh-huh. Jerk, Moonraker, and the Muppet movie is the top ten. Wow. <laughs> That's quite. We've a ten. done the Muppet movie at, at our film series too. Who did you have as a guest? Um, I had Lonnie Price. Kermit. No. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Kermit. Yeah. I gotta go to I, that. That theater is so cool. I or mean, no, I'm lying. We had Muppets take Manhattan. That's why Lonnie Price. Oh yes, yes, yes. yes. That, yes. that fits a Manhattan screening series. Yes. And also, it's the it's the one about putting on a Broadway show. It's the show. one about putting on a Broadway show. Right. Movie fucking rules. Yeah. Um, Gregory Hines just as a jogger in the park. I mean, there's so many great. It's so funny to me that like I I don't know if you had the same experience as well, but like being a Muppet kid. I would later, when I saw the things that people were best known for, be like, oh, that's the jogger from the park in Muppet Sigma Manhattan, <laughs> yeah, rather yeah. than the intended effect, which is, that's Gregory Hines as a jogger. Right. Yeah, it's, did they host the Muppet show? Right. Yeah. That's what I know I, I knew Kenny Rogers as right. the host, the one-time host of the Muppet show. Right. I was the like, saddest rendition of The Gambler you'll ever <laughs> see, where they have a puppet play The Gambler that. and he dies in the train carriage. Go watch that. It's great. <laughs> I'm going to Google that. It's great. Uh, no, I remember just being like, well, Vincent Price, obviously one of the biggest movie stars of today. And my parents were like, he died five years ago. And I was like, <laughs> what? He's on the fucking Muppet, on the Muppet Show. show. <laughs> I knew it was an old episode, but I was like, Vincent Price is probably still relevant to other six-year-olds right now. <laughs> my God, look at this. This is very haunting. What are you looking at? The, the Kenny Rogers. Yeah. Because these puppets are sort of very sad. Yes. These yeah. like old man They're puppets. fucking sad numbers in the Muppet Show. Yeah. They weren't afraid to go there. Time in a bottle. <laughs> You remember that one? Yeah, look at that. Yeah. It's just a straight up music video of the song. And these weird human puppets. Weird human puppets. Yeah. Yeah. Good for Kenny Rogers. The best. Um, Okay, Lynn, thank you so much for doing this podcast. It's my pleasure. Thank you for indulging us. (laughs) It means a lot that you listen. It's very bizarre. Uh, you, You sort of DM both David and I. After listening to like specific episodes and would yeah. like comment on like, <laughs> oh, I did listen to an episode very touched by the things you had to say. I yep. listened to this episode. Here's my insight on this thing or whatever. I thought it was it was cool that you did Ron and John. Like that's just like really that was. They felt like the important. Yeah. yeah. It, and they felt like the the most auteurish of the sort of Disney renaissance. Or like the easiest way to get into that just period. Sort of like, right. Especially since they always did different stuff. Like, you know, every project that they would do is different. Yeah. And now they're doing something else, maybe? One of them or is doing one of them the movie is, at I know they retire, but now there's... Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know. Rumors of unretired. Them announced yeah. a Netflix movie. Have you interacted with them for Little Mermaid? Like, are they involved? No, not really. No, no, no yeah, they... I wonder. I, I said this to you at the time, I think. I DM this back to you. But when we were in like a weird transitional stage with this podcast and we were trying to move networks and we were tangled up in weird contract stuff and we're fucking sweating bullets over a podcast that was not making anyone any money, but mm-hmm. that we wanted to keep doing, right? Uh, uh, Angela Farragutta, who ran our social media at the time, we had just done our Wonder Woman episode. Yeah. We talked about the weird parallels between Wonder Woman and Moana. Oh, I don't think I caught that one. And she did this thread of like Wonder Woman gifts under Moana lyrics or something. Uh-huh. Of like, oh, okay. oh, the girl that on the island remember. who dreams mm-hmm. about sailing out yeah. and all this sort of stuff. Right. And you retweeted this. Uh-huh. 
And it was like the first thing we did that had any sort of virality out of our bubble. And it like really, really fucking helped us. Oh, that's great. It was absolutely a thing where like a big deal. It just you checked your notifications at the right point in time (laughs) and out of generosity just flipped the fucking thoughtless retweet. But it was like uh, uh, very, very helpful. Mm. All that to say, you've done so much for us already. You've been so uh, considerate uh, in in giving us this time. There, There is an ask. Oh boy. And Ben almost oh, burned this. Yeah. Well, well Ben's it's, it's, sounds so sad. It's, no, no, it's, it's two o'clock. I'm now it's two o'clock. I know. And I feel like I'm fine. Okay, okay. Well, this is all we're gonna say. David is wearing that a T-shirt right now that has a list of nicknames on them. Mm, Producer true. Ben, Ben Deucer. right? Producer Mr. Ben, Hazard, Mr. Hazard, the Hazard. But there's one of these nicknames that is particularly relevant today. Yeah, is it on here? Yeah, yeah. Birthday Benny. Birthday Benny. Now I don't so, know if you know this. Today is Ben's birthday. Oh, happy birthday. Ben. Thank you so much, Len. Appreciate it. We've been very excited about doing this episode. And I'm just I'm just fucking putting him on blast now. Several times over the last month, Ben has verbalized to me what his greatest birthday wishes. <laughs> I'm ready. Well, I thought it might be fun and no pressure. But Jesus if Lynn, if you maybe wanted to do like a birthday rap for me or something, oh he said this I to say, multiple. Ben texted this to the blank check thread, and I said, "I, I guys, I can't come tomorrow. I just checked my schedule. If you're gonna do they were that, trying to bow out of yep. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, you're gonna do that? Oh, I can't come. Anyway, um, well, I'll give you your present off mic. But perfect. Why don't I do? Uh, I, I can just sort of, I'll do a version of the list. Oh, sure. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Do you wow. want the list? Yeah. Yeah. I think I better give you the list. Let me, let me <laughs> well, thank you for like, being... You know, Weird Al at the end of his shows does this, like, eagle oogle aga that just gets longer every time he tours. This is... Really? Does he do that? I should go to a Weird Al show. Oh, my God. I got, I got he, to Right now, this. he's on tour yeah. where it's no parodies. It's just the it's genre. Just, oh, it's parodies. just like, it's like his It's song all the deep cuts. It's fucking incredible. I was at the first night. I'm seeing him, what is it, he's uh, coming the to, 29th? I think he's coming to Carnegie Hall in, like, yes. September. Yes, October. I think that's when I'm seeing He him. does, like, 40 costume changes, right? Like that's Not like, in this tour. Well, no, he, this this tour is not he has, right, like, right, a new right. kind of idea. Because he did one that it was, like, we're doing full string orchestration for everything. Right. I mean, this tour is There's so many, songs. I can't fit it on a screen. He's going to have to scroll. Give that's him great. my laptop. Okay. Um, so embarrassing. I was at the Radio City Hall. I don't know if you only did this one. The one where you came out and just said Yoda. Yeah, yeah. That was great. That was a great show. I was... um. Uh, I was sitting next to Tina Fey. I did not know Tina Fey. Yeah. And, you know, during the sequence, they during the costume changes, they always play kind of like Weird Al in pop culture on the screens. It'll yeah. be sure. Jeopardy mentioning Weird Al. And they played the Weird Al writing the lyrics to the 30 Rock theme. And I will love Tina Fey forever for this. When that showed up on screen, she went... Fuck yeah! yeah. <laughs> she was <laughs> like no, totally sincere. Reaction. Totally sincere. Like yeah, I'm on screen. And I was like, that's the best. That yeah, because the cool thing would have been to be like, oh, embarrassing. Oh I know. And she was like, yeah. and I was like yes, that's the that appropriate on. reaction to yeah. yeah. being yes. reaction. Oh my god, I'm gonna have to scroll. There's too many. There's too many nicknames. I feel like one of you needs to give me a B. Oh, it's not gonna be. <laughs> me. I think it's Ben. I think it has to be Ben. Okay. Um, do you want it fast or do you want it slow? Uh, slow. Okay. Just like Christmas. 
<laughs> yeah, do you know about Slow Christmas? No. Okay. Oh, <laughs> every year Ben puts out a Slow Christmas album. He uh, thinks Christmas songs are too fast. So slow him down. He did us an album. Chopped and screwed. First year exactly. was Chopped and Screwed Christmas. He took Christmas songs, he chopped and screwed them in editing. Right. Second year, he hired musicians and had them record songs at a slower Man, tempo. you really contain multitudes. He does. I do. I'm glad to know you. Happy <laughs> birthday. Thank you so much. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Slow like Christmas. Producer Ben. Perdua Ben, the Bendusa, the poet laureate, the meat lover, the tiebreaker, the fart detective, our finest film critic, the peeper birthday Benny, hello fennel, not Professor Crispy, the fucking master dirt bike Benny, white hot Benny, soaking wet Benny, the hot. Mr. Positive, Mr. Positive, close personal friend of Dan Lewis, that's the hottest shit. The voice of reason, Santa has the commission. Wishful Ben, Hosleywood, the futzer, producer, and the bass stealer. Producer Ben Kenobi, Kylo Ben, Ben, I Shyamalan, Ben, say, say anything. Ailey Ben's. Warhouse, Purdue, or Bane, Pen 19, the Femmel Maker, the shit's insane. Robo Haas, Benglish, Mr. Ben, Credible, Eat Ben, <laughs> Eat Drink, Ben, Hustle, Beetle Vape, Juice, the Hosler Day, Public Enemies, How Sick of the Ditch of the Jersey, but anyway, stop making pens. Haas, Drinking the City, Ben Hosley, Miss Sally, The Secret Lights of Ben's, The Great Mouse, Rock Detective Kids, The Haas Break Kid, Ben's in the Haas, Ben Skate from New Haas, Drunk. Hosley, Bronco, Benny, you motherfuckers We're Ben, Benny Lane Not, but say, Benny thing Not a temperature queen Osama, Ben, Hosley, Ben That one's banned Dr. Crunchy, oh, I'm in the rejected <laughs> Yes, you are Happy birthday, Ben, this song is fucking insane Wow <laughs> Sorry, I went into the rejected nickname No, it's even better Incredible um, wiki fandom ben. Truly the best birthday there present of all time Wow Thank you, Lynn Thank, Thank you. you That the, was that is truly the dumbest thing I imagine you've ever had to do. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised. I've had some morning show. Uh, oh my God. I could always where the, where I, and I always say, you have to provide the beat if you want me to freestyle. Yeah. And then right. you get, you know. I think, I th- it's a BYOB role. Yeah. Um, thank you again for doing this. Yeah. Okay, yeah now thank I will you. eat my bagel without fear of making yeah. noise. Yeah. I uh, could do the outro. Hey, uh, anything you want to plug? Do you have anything? I got plug? nothing. Great. <laughs> Fantastic. Encanto is on Disney Plus. And your kids have already seen it. No, and t- 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 I think I could use the boost. <laughs> I heard the album isn't doing particularly well. Uh, thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media and helping to produce the show. Thank you to AJ McCann, Alex Barron for our editing, Lane Montgomery and the Great American Novel for our theme song, uh, Joe Bowen, Pat Rounds for our artwork, J.J. Birch for our research, compiling another great Fossier. Uh, you can go to blankcheckpod.com for links to all sorts of real nerdy shit, including Blank Check special features, our Patreon feed where we do commentaries on franchises like the Batman movies. Yeah, I guess we're still doing that. We're just finishing we're those wrapping up. that up. Yeah. Uh, tune in next week for Star 80, one of the bleakest movies ever made. Oof. I love it because I'm a glutton for punishment. Yep. Uh, and and as always, I s- still cannot believe you did the fucking. <laughs> <laughs> Long time fan. 